We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good afternoon and welcome to the second day live broadcasting from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IMBBQ 2018. Here we go. We are broadcasting live on Facebook. We are also simul broadcasting on the YouTubes. Also, right here live on my audio stream as well. So welcome in to the second day of IMBBQ. Lots of stuff planned for you on this particular day. Who we got? Big Green Craig. Hey, what's up? Where are you at, Big Green Craig? Not here at NBBQA, I can tell you that. All right, uh, so we got a lot of stuff planned for you today. Uh, first guest is already locked and loaded, Chad, from Kickash Baskets at 1230. Chris Lilly from Big Bob Gibson's. There is a rumor that Sam Jones is also going to be tagging along with Chris Lilly, but I can't confirm that 100% yet. But if he shows up, he shows up. And if he doesn't, uh, the worst thing that happens is I have Chris Lilly all to myself. At 1.30, Sean Walchef from Cali Comfort Barbecue will be joining me. He's also the host of Behind the Smoke Barbecue War Stories podcast and uh, an award-winning podcast, I might add. And then closing out the show this evening or this afternoon, at 2.15 is Linda Orison, who may or may not be joined uh, with Brad Orison. So, again, the best thing that happens is I get Brad and Linda. The worst thing that happens is I get Linda. And if that's the worst thing that happens today, then I'm having a pretty good day. So, if you have any email questions, please hit me up at greg at thebbqcentralshow.com, and I will go ahead and mix those in. As I can, I am checking emails, uh, no phone calls or anything like that, just like yesterday. So we're off and running. All right, my first guest here has a unique product that is in the barbecue and grilling industry. And I think a lot of the NBBQA stuff is something that has to do with the industry, whether you own a restaurant or whether you have a sauce or rub or a, uh, a piece or an accessory that goes into a cooker. And it's Chad from Kick-Ash Baskets. So, uh, Chad, appreciate you taking time right off the top here. Um, how's the NBBQA experience treating you so far? It's, it's phenomenal. It's such a great bunch of folks that all want to help out, you know, teach you this, tell you their stories and you learn a little bit of what not to do and learn a lot about what to do. So yeah, it's a great bunch. So let's talk a little bit about the product. You know, when new products come to market, it's usually to fill a need or maybe there's a gap in the market. So when was the aha moment for the kick-ash basket? Yeah, so that's a that's a fun story. Um, I got my first grill back in uh, 2010. Actually, it was my second grill. Our first grill was a, a Weber gas grill. Loved it. Cooked on it for a lot of years. Uh, then I was in the market for a new one, and I found out about this uh, Kamado-style ceramic grill. 
So, you know, fell in love with the idea, the versatility, everything you could do. And in 2010, I got my first grill, which is a grill dome, you know, a wonderful product. Mm-hmm. Um, was trying to cook pizza. And uh, I couldn't get the temperature above 300 degrees. Really? Yeah. So I, I called the guy at the shop where I got it, Chip, my buddy in Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, said, hey, why can't I get my temp up? And he's like, well, how well did you clean out the charcoal? And I'm like, Chip, I stirred it with that silly stick you sold me. <laughs> so, so that was kind of the moment where uh, my wife, Tracy, and I were you know, looking at this. And we're like, gosh, if I had a bucket or a basket or something, I could sift the ash and the small chunks out of the leftover charcoal and and um we'd be off to the races and that was kind of, that was the aha moment right so we we scoured the internet um i like somebody's got to be making these i'll buy one right now and there were guys on egghead forums and stuff that had made some you know i saw some made out of colanders or old salad bowls you know something was working and, makeshift items though. yeah yeah so so i'm like well i guess i have to make one so i I figured out how to make a cone type shape because the bottom of an egg isn't a simple square. Right. Right. It's, it's con- conical. And, um, figured that out, had, had to cut it out. My dad helped me weld the initial ones. I actually had coat hanger for handles <laughs> on the very first ones. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then, then I had buddies getting other grills, eggs and stuff like that. And I probably made eight or 10 of them. And, you know, in, in uh, 2013, we we're kind of like, maybe we should do something with this. Yeah, right. So yeah. Yeah. how long does it take to go from that original version that had the coat hanger handles yeah. and all that stuff to one that you felt confident enough to put out into the market and for people to actually start buying? Yeah. So the first ones were made out of expanded metal, like 16th inch thick stuff, right? And, and they were working. They were working great. Folks were using the lower charcoal grate that comes in the grill worked fine. I, I cooked on mine for two years plus. And, and so to answer your question is more of, all right, when do you pull the trigger and figure out how to do something with it? Or, you know, maybe make a business out of it. I'm working full time as an engineer, you know, for a big paper company back in the Midwest. And, um, you know, my wife's kind of playing with this on, you know, part-time or whatever. And, and so we, we finally said, all right, let's look, let's investigate and see if somebody can make this for me. So I, I probably spent four months. Like, do you even know who to call or you just Google, uh, fabricators or makers of iron stuff or what? Well, I talked, so, you know, mechanical engineering background, right. I knew some people in the, in the market and stuff and tried to find shops that would make it. Nobody would touch the expanded metal thing because it's pain to work with. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we finally stumbled on a company that was all things wire. They make things like, you know, the old cover on the clock in the gymnasium. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. cage. They yeah. make that thing. And driving <laughs> range golf ball buckets. Perfect. Yep, exactly. So they didn't have one in the right size, but but that's what they did. So we found that company. They gave us a shot. And I had probably talked to six or eight others. They were like, well, do you work for the big three automotive? I'm like, no, I'm just a guy with an idea, <laughs> you know? So, you know, kudos to this company in, in Wisconsin that helped us get our start. And, um, you know, took them my sketches and drawings and turned it into, you know, something that we could get. And then uh, spring of 2014, I ordered my first hundred, you know, and um, I was as nervous as I am trying to talk to you right now. <laughs> Well, hopefully more nervous than because that really counted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, all right, I got a hundred of these things on order. Shoot, am I even going to be able to sell them? You know, so we get the first batch in and I, I take it into the shop and it didn't fit. 
the basket didn't fit oh, in no. the bag. Yeah. So the, the fun part of that was that fun part. Yeah. That's the effort fun I was now. thinking. Yeah. Um, we, I modeled the basket off of my neighbor's egg. And I went after egg rather than grilled home because they were, you know, the bigger, biggest player right. in the Kamano right. business. And um, in 2012, egg changed their internal diameter of their lower firebox. So now it's smaller internal diameter and my basket doesn't fit. So I was like, oh, bummer. <laughs> so, so you have 100 that are now not the right size Correct. in one dimension. Right. Yeah. But but what it, it did is it it forced me to go, look, what the heck else can I do with these? And so I looked at other companies like, you know, Kamado Joe and Vision and Pit Boss and um, that basket fit in those those grills. Perfect. So, so we retooled, got the right one for the egg to fit right. And, you know, the saying is, uh, it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> and fortunately, out of the gates, I had two models to start with. Nice. So we had 200 baskets, started with that, um, you know, started our website in early 2014 and just see what we could do. Word of mouth. Yeah. All right. So let's back it out just a little bit for the folks that yeah. are tuning in. Maybe they don't know anything about Kickash Basket. Uh, and obviously, I don't have a picture and... We don't have oh. one here that we can uh, throw right up on the video side yeah, of things, but most of the people listen through audio podcasts anyway. So yeah. are you able to paint a mental picture as far as how it looks and really yeah. what, what the use of it is for? Like, why am I wanting a kick-ash basket? Yeah, so in our, in our Kamado grills and, and the more majority of folks that use lump charcoal, close your grill down and the, the fire goes out. So you can reuse all that leftover lump charcoal. When you go to start up, you need to clean it out, clean the charcoal so that it can breathe in the fire. So you have to get the remaining ash and small chunks out of it. So with the basket, I mean, it seriously looks like an old driving range golf, golf ball bucket, right? But you, you lift up the basket out of the grill, you could put it over a trash can or your wife's flower bed or your front lawn. I, I tell people, I don't care where they shake that ash. You just got to shake, shake that, that ash. ash. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're sifting the old ash and small chunks out of the leftover charcoal, set the basket back into the grill, top it off with a little more charcoal and you're ready to light it up. So it really simplifies the, the startup process. And then it also gives you better consistent airflow throughout your cook. So you can maintain constant temperatures a lot easier. This was obviously born out of you owning a ceramic cooker. You'd mentioned a grill yeah. dome and you're making it for big green eggs and all that stuff yeah. over the course of the last, uh, sounds like almost four years. Yeah. Is it something where it is still a ceramic based product or is it something that if you have some type of a charcoal cooker and you're into the use of lump charcoal, it's going to fit or you have other options aside from just something ceramic? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, are primarily in ceramic and it's a specialty market because it's a conical type build, right? Which is difficult. Um, the offset smokers, they've had charcoal baskets for years. Correct. Um, it's a nice, simpler design because they're basically square and you can, you can, you know, cut them out and, and, and do that. So, um, Weber's, we, we do have a model that fits in a, in a Weber kettle. Um, it's a challenge cause it's, you know, I, all of our products now are, are full 304 stainless steel, so they're a little bit more expensive. Um, and in a Weber, it's it's an expensive product to put in into a Weber. So we may be working on something to help that market in the future. We'll see. But um, I mean, it would it would seem like anybody that's I mean, obviously, if you're buying a ceramic cooker, there is an associated price tag that goes along with that. But right. 
it would seem to me that if somebody's interested in the kick-ash basket, there is uh, a customer or potential customer that does perceive value that, you know, even though that grill might be 90 bucks or a hundred bucks, you know, yeah. depending if you get it on sale or not, at one of the big box stores, what's the price point on, you know, a kick-ash basket? So the price point, um, for a large in a Kamado Joe or a big green egg or whatever, they're at $80, $79.99, full stainless. Uh, we put a three-year warranty on them now. Um, we know that the stainless lasts really well. Um, but again, we're in a cooking environment that's very harsh, you know, so unless it's ceramic, it's not going to last forever. Um, in a Weber though, the one that fits in that is 120 bucks mm-hmm. because it's a monster. It's got a 17 inch bottom diameter, you know, the full thing's stainless steel. So, so I, I have some ideas we're working on yeah. to, to help that out. So obviously the, the hurdle for the potential purchaser there is you're spending as much for the ash basket as you might be for the cooker. Yeah. But the return on investment is huge. So, I mean, you have to build that value or you have to have somebody kind of buy into that, but yeah. it's something that's probably going to last as long as the grill. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've got passionate Weber guys, you know, all over the world. Um, when we, when we first uh, landed a retailer down in Australia, um, they were asking if we had a model specific for the Weber because they're huge Weber guys and they're all using lump charcoal down there. So they want to reuse that charcoal and get it going again. So, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. From a sales and a distribution standpoint, are you solely on the internet? Are you also trying to get out into like brick and mortar stores at a combination of yeah. both? How's that worked out for you? Yeah. So that's, that's another fun part of the story. I mean, the product's fun and, you know, we stumbled on a cool name, you know, just by bunts and stuff off. And our tagline is shake that ash, light yeah. that fire. And, and so when we launched in 2014, um, yeah, I'll give you a second. That's that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I like it. When we launched in 2014, um, you know, we just started a Facebook page and our website. And then, you know, folks started finding us and in, in introducing us to stores. Um, you know, one of the very first people, a great friend of mine now, Big Green Craig, mm-hmm. found us in, in uh, summer 2014 or so. And and um, we just, I think we might have met, I was playing around with Twitter or something. I don't even remember. And uh, Craig reached out and said, Hey, this is, this is awesome. You know, would you mind if I told a couple of my local stores about your product? I'm like, uh, that'd be okay. <laughs> right? So that's kind of how it started. And we got into, um, one of our first big stores was, uh, Roswell hardware, which is now Atlanta grill company, mm-hmm. um, down in Roswell, Georgia. And those guys have been, you know, right alongside of us. And, and so now, you know, we just kind of been growing it. You know, I call it the, the pork butt business plan. We're just growing our low and slow you know, and, and trying to, to maintain and, and then reinvesting back in. Um, so like I said, we just started with one size that year and now I have five sizes for the egg guys and five sizes for the other guys, three specific for Kamado Joe, you know, I make it an oval one, mm-hmm. um, for Primo and actually we're just finishing up the, the redesign of that one. I'm excited about, mm-hmm. about the new oval. And, um, so that'll be, that'll be coming soon. So are you in contact with each individual manufacturer and you say, Hey, this is what I do. And do you have any updates to your dimensions so you can kind of change with those times as well? Yeah. Um, I visited with a lot of the folks, um, you know, definitely Kamado Joe and, and big green egg. It was just at the hearth patio barbecue expo. Um, I visited with the primo guys. They know us. They, you know, they appreciate what we're doing. I was going to say, are they, like, are they receptive to you or do they find you as yeah. some type of a competition or 
<clears throat> maybe a little, but I think, you know, kind of in the barbecue community, I, I help sell a lot of grills. Mm-hmm. And and when we're making that that grilling experience better for people, I think that they do appreciate that. And it's something that we're, you know, chasing to, you know, stay ahead. And, um, you know, we have design patents and, and things like that on our baskets. But, you know, overall, um, you know, Big Green Egg, I, funny story if you don't mind me sharing. Please. Yeah. It, um, so I was in Nashville and um, stayed at the Doubletree Hotel. I have a big truck. It's wrapped with kick-ash baskets. Mm-hmm. I shake that ash like the fire inside of it, right? And I, I handed it to the valet guys. And they're like, oh, yeah, that'll fit in the garage. No problem. And uh, I walk out that evening to go to dinner with my wife. My truck's parked right in front of the Doubletree Hotel. <laughs> like, that's, wow, it wouldn't fit. Bummer. But, oh, that's a great spot for advertising. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so I see the the Big Green Egg guys um, that uh, the next day at the show. And uh, they're like, hey, how'd you get your truck parked in front of our hotel? And I'm like, that's my hotel. <laughs> I own that. <laughs> so, but then um, on Friday... Um, they actually moved my, my truck back in, and I saw the guys coming out, and I'm like, hey, did you tell them to move my truck in? They're like, no, that helps us too. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So so I think there is a little reciprocal there, and um, it, you know, it's just been a, a fun ride, and, and uh, it's, it's awesome. So as you look at the growth trend of the companies, you said like the pork butt growth plan, low and slow. Yeah, yeah. Are you actively trying to pick up distributors? Or are you trying to temper what you can handle from an inventory and yeah. a manufacturing side to make sure that you can supply people if they're asking for it. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and, um, so like I mentioned, I was, I was full-time at an engineering job. Um, and last summer, um, I went full-time with Kickash basket. So I left my, my corporate job and doing this full-time. So now my focus is on, you know, R and D, and marketing and, you know, trying to contact new stores and things. We were fortunate um, a year ago at the Hearth Patio Barbecue Expo to meet folks from ACE. And, you know, kudos to ACE for sponsoring the NBBQA here. It's phenomenal. And and we actually um, worked out the numbers and the plans and, and got into the ACE warehouses last fall. Um, so that's been a really nice boost mm-hmm. for us. And and um, so we're, we're feeling out that market because it's quite a bit bigger and, and before we were in ace we had you know over 300 stores uh worldwide which is you know just i have to pinch myself about every other not every day you know just to see where this little garage startup had come from and and um you know, so we were able to to handle that and we handle all the shipping right from our warehouse mm-hmm. i mean my three-car garage <laughs> that's the warehouse i was gonna ask you about that yeah yeah, yeah. and um that, well, that's where we ship from. We do have a larger warehouse now, but we keep it tight because I keep my overhead low. And um, like I said, we can you know re- reinvest back into the company and everything. And um, so to answer your question, we are actively looking. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how this year goes with Ace and, you know, stores. I love what they're doing with educating consumers and, and the, the small shops. Those are, I don't have interest in the, the big box stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you get more uh, personal contact with the the Aces and the small shops like Roswell Hardware and Wasi's Meat Markets and you know Dixon Barbecue up in Toronto. Yeah, you know just these fun stores that if you're just up on a shelf in one of the big box stores, there's a really good potential that yeah. you just is kind that of a, lost a, amongst the other is things. Is that a right? fruit basket? Right. Or is that yeah. in the wrong aisle? Wrong aisle. Yeah. I was just gonna say yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we're 
we're actively growing, but still on the. So one of the things that people are talking about here, especially in this conference, is digital media, social media. Uh, when you mm. started in 2014, were you pretty adept at social media and utilizing it properly? And is that a big part of your marketing program and getting the word out and brand recognition as you move you know, through up to present day? Yeah, um, I was on Facebook, right? And I, you know, just personally, you know, posting pictures of my kids so my mom and dad can see them and stuff like that. And and so we started a Facebook page that I, you know, separated from my personal stuff. And then as I got meeting folks like, you know, Craig and and Shelburne and and these other crazy guys out there, um, they're like, you really need to get on Instagram. I'm like, man, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and um. So, but I learned more about it, and then that's primarily become my my main hitter now mm-hmm. is Instagram, and and I've done some. I'm learning some great stuff this weekend about differentiating between the different platforms. For a couple of years now, I've been using Instagram as my primary post, and then I'll I'll link it through another app, yeah. So I get the native pictures to Facebook, Twitter, and even Pinterest. I'm not, I don't know why I'm on Pinterest, but people like it. So so I'm learning that I need to. Uh, branch out and, and spend some more time. And now that I'm full time, I can you know, change my content for Facebook and, and use Instagram. But Instagram's really been fun. I mean, we've got, you know, not a, a ton of followers. Um, I like to think we're more organic and, and folks that are really into the, the Kamado style cookers and charcoal and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm not a, you know, there's, there's guys out there that, you know, are awesome at plating food and, and, and doing all that, that stuff. And to me, you know, the product was born out of, I got two boys that are hungry. We got a ton of crap going on in our life. I want to get started and cook and I want to cook good food. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'll take pictures of just chicken on the, on the grill, you know, and it's, I'm more about the instant. All right. I'm cooking quick for my family and friends and, and we're on to, violin lessons or hockey or something like that right so so that's kind of how i've I've built my my uh, social stuff aside from the baskets are there any other products that are in the hopper or that you're currently offering yeah we have a couple cool ones um one is called our our kick-ass great hook so that's a fun story i actually got the idea from a guy out in seattle who whose buddy was making it and and it's it had been around for a while but you know nobody was mass producing it and He's like, hey, I'll trade you a basket for a couple of these and you see if your wire guy can make them. And so now he's home to him. So that's a fantastic product for um, picking up your cooking grid and then you can actually hang it on your side table so you don't have to sit your greasy grid down on the on your table yeah, or nice. something. I also joke it hangs about the right level for your puppy dog to clean off the bottom. Right. So that's nice. Um, and then the other one we just launched last summer is for your ceramic stones. So you have the ceramic heat deflectors in the mm-hmm. Kamado grills or even pizza stones and this this gripper um you can see them on our website um it actually kind of pinches the the stone so when you apply a moment or a lever to it you can hang the stone as well Hmm. so it's great for again starting up so you don't have to find a place to put it but also if you're doing indirect cooking and then you want it so reverse seared steaks are the most popular thing right so you can be cooking indirect get that smoke on there pull the plate setter out hang it in a safe spot right and then crank up the vents and mm-hmm. and sear that steak off so so those are a couple of accessories and i do have um a couple dividers for my baskets now um like the the xls and the big joe uh, folks were used to be able to uh 
you divide their their cooking basket or their cooking area right in half yep and with a divider now in the basket you can do like a quarter of a load of charcoal so you could be you know smoking indirect in the front and have live fire in the back and then chicken wings are really popular right so you can be mm-hmm. cooking them indirect get them up the temp move them to the back get that sear on yep and you're you're ready to go nice so. Yeah, a couple fun things. Yeah, the website is kickashbasket.com. That's kickashbasket.com. So if you're interested, head on over there, give them a checkout. And if you're really interested, buy two, three, four, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. And you get a koozie when you buy from us. Oh, yeah? Heck yeah. Koozies are great. It's Chad from Kickash Basket. Again, the website kickashbasket.com. Chad, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Greg. You awesome. got it. All right, so we are going to step away real quick. We'll reload with Chris Lilly and potentially. Sam Jones. And we will be back as I am navigating through multiple screens here uh, right after this. Stick around.
we give stuff away. People give us stuff on the show to give away at no money for you. That's why it's free. Send an email on its way when I tell you to. That's why we give stuff away. All right. The uh, alert will tell you that it's time to win something. Uh, by the way, right there is Chris Lilly. And he has graciously been forced into giving away a copy of his latest book. So if you want to win it, all you have to do is be the first person to send me an email. And in the subject line, Big Bob Gibson. Very easy to do. And we certainly appreciate Chris lending the book to us here. I appreciate the invitation to be on the show. Absolutely. So, uh, again, first email in in the subject line, Big Bob Gibson, and we will get it out to you here sooner than later. And we will be right back with the interview with Chris Lilly. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, welcome back. We are broadcasting live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Associations, the IMBBQ 2018 here in Fort Worth, Texas. And this is the second full day of live shows, also chasing around the venue, getting recorded shows. They'll all be uploaded into the podcast feed. So never fear, you will get all of the great interviews. I'm not just doing quantity it's quality that's really what it uh, comes down to so a uh, guy who needs no introduction chris Lilly from big bob gibson's joining me here on the show so i certainly appreciate you doing this and you know rarely we'll, we'll do it on the phone quite a bit you know when you're winning a lot of memphis and maize and so forth um or when you're writing new cookbooks and all that but uh to get that personal time in-person time pretty rare for me so uh, i certainly appreciate you making time here for the show so we were kind of communicating prior to this whole event happening, and it was a little unsure if you were going to be here. So what was the linchpin to get you in here to Fort Worth? It was the it was your podcast. It was your show <laughs> that pulled me in here. That was the linchpin. That, right. uh, that, that put me on a plane <laughs> here just in time this morning to do the show. This is actually my first uh, gig at the uh, MBBQA. So you roll right show. in, and you're coming. You get ushered right in here. That's it. All right. Well, I'm glad uh, we could inspire somebody to, to get here. We, you were on the fence. We pushed you over. So uh, Stuart Meyer will be very happy to hear that, I'm sure. Um, so are you going to be like demoing today or you have some type of a panel that you're sitting in on uh, for the MBBQA? You know, it's interesting. I think uh, first and foremost, I'm going to be talking barbecue at, at the convention. Uh, that really is uh, is what's special to me and that barbecue has been so good to me. You got people coming in from all over the country that have questions. Uh, that are just starting out there in my shoes, you know, when I started out back in 1991 with uh, and joined Big Bob Gibson. So, uh, so a lot of people asking questions. So basically, I'm walking around talking barbecue. If anybody wants to come up and uh, talk to me, has questions, you know, I'll absolutely answer them, those. I'm doing a panel this afternoon called uh, Meet the Masters. So uh, that'll give another opportunity for the people to ask me, me and the rest of the panel some questions. 
Uh, I'm going to cook a steak in the SCA cook-off. I mean, tonight uh, or tomorrow? I'm going to do them both. I mean, oh, I'm here. Wow. I mean, you know, a back cook to a back steak. guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Why not cook a steak <laughs> and turn it in a box? And, uh, yeah. you know, I can talk barbecue and cook a steak at the same time. So uh, <laughs> I don't doubt that. It's it's not it's not like you know uh, stand up all night cooking a cooking a contest. So uh, so I'm 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 here. Well, might as well do it. But mainly just to visit people. In regards to NBBQA, um, I was asking some of the guests this yesterday. There's a lot of people here that are in industry. They own a restaurant or they're selling an accessory for a barbecue cooker or they're selling a cooker or whatever. Is there value, do you think, to somebody coming in that just might be a fan of yours that isn't in the business of barbecue and has the opportunity to access and meet somebody like you, somebody like Myron Mixon. I mean, the list goes on. There's a lot of big names here. Do you see a value in being able to come in and just be a fan of barbecue taking in this event? I think it's a huge value because uh, there are, you know, you've got a lot of barbecue professionals here. But, you know, what I do on the weekends, you know, I fire up the charcoal grill in the backyard. So if you want to talk about, uh, you know, pork chops or chicken breast or something, you know, pretty basic, uh, you know, we're here to talk about it. Uh, so it's, it's if you have a passion for barbecue or just like to go in the backyard and, and cook, uh, there's so much you can learn here. You know, um, there's I just left a demo outside on a whole hog. But if you don't have the equipment to do a whole hog, uh, you know, those same, same people know how to, you know, fire up a indirect kettle and uh, and, and get a nice, nice cooked product. So uh, a lot of questions. I've already been uh, stopped a uh, half dozen times or a dozen times trying to get to the media room. <laughs> but uh, uh, talking barbecues is a lot of just enthusiasts here. Uh, so why not come to the MBBQA and uh do a weekend of barbecue. There seems to be a select few um, yourself. Uh, some, you know, there, there's this group of barbecue stars or, or barbecue celebrities, whatever that term means to people. But I mean, recognizable folks, right? So when you come here, if you have an agenda and, and there are things that you need to do, but you have people that say, "Oh, there's Chris Lilly," and I'm, you know, so they start grabbing your shoulders. You said you were stopped probably ten times coming in here, and you were here for probably fifteen minutes tops. Is it a balancing act for you or it doesn't matter? You're always happy to, to sit there and talk. And, and how do you tell somebody nicely, I want to I talk to you and I want to have this personal connection, but I really have to go do this. Can you be that blunt and that honest or do you have to find a, a, a sweeter way to do that? You know, I think you just said, uh, and it's all about just being open and honest. I mean, these these people know, you know, if I've got to do a panel or do a meeting or speak, you know, it's just a matter of, hey, I've got, uh, I'm, you know, about to do a, sh a show or a panel real quick. I'm going to be around all weekend and uh, let's be sure and visit later on. So, uh, you know, as long as you're open and honest with the people, I think they're they're fine. But uh it's uh, it always the uh, the different questions and the different things that people want to ask, uh, you know, whether it be about catering or restaurants or get a lot of competition questions as well. Is there like a top three or four questions that you're always getting that, you know, you have to make sure that you're up to speed on before you show up to an event like this? <laughs> well, the difficult thing is, is, you know, without me cooking with somebody. Uh, you know, I can tell them how I cook barbecue in my particular style and in the way in way it suits me. But um, but, I, you know, I get off my off, most often question is, hey, I, you know, I want to grill for my backyard. What should I get? I, I mean, it's really difficult for me without having to cook cooked with that person to know what style of barbecue they like. 
do they like charcoal? Do they like wood? Do they like direct heat or indirect heat? Do they cook uh, more grilling or less grilling and more low and slow? I mean, there's so many questions that I can a ask them and give a, give an opinion on. But uh, you know, mostly it's just a it's just relaxed talking barbecue. I had Mike Mills on the show yesterday and we were kind of doing a, a nice retrospective of did you know he owns a denture company since yeah, like I, 1962 he makes dentures yeah, like still to, I, today I, he makes dentures. I, you know i <laughs> i never <laughs> i now that you said that i vaguely remember years ago yep. somebody telling me that but it, it hadn't crossed my mind since then but uh no, he doesn't put that out a whole lot. I don't. <laughs> no, I mean, he yeah. totally took a left-hand turn, and he was kind of recounting as he was getting started that he was a, a trained dental tech or something like okay. that. You know, right out of uh, right out of school, it was a two-year college, and he started this. He called them falsies, uh, and it was it's maybe two minutes down the road from where Seventeenth Street is currently, and it's still in operation today. And he's like, I wanted to have this backup plan in yeah. case you know the food business didn't work out. Obviously, it's worked out pretty well for him. But we were talking about how he's built the career and how he has really come to be one of the faces and godfathers of, of barbecue, especially present day, to where we are now. And we were talking about the kids, and he's got the son. Obviously, he's got Amy. But he said he was never looking to push either one of them into the industry that he had found quite a bit of success in. And his son didn't take an interest at all, lives on the left coast. And uh, obviously Amy had bought in at some point and, and now she's like the right hand person to Mike. You know, you have kids, I see your Instagram photos and you bring your sons to cook-offs and really special events. Uh, are they invested into the Big Bob Gibson lifestyle? And is that something as they were growing up since you were in it, that you were hoping that they would get into, or did they always feel like they had that free choice to kind of explore whatever they wanted to do? That's a good question. Uh, and, and I think this is some advice that I've lived through. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think you ever want to push your kids to do anything. Uh, you want to, uh, give them a platform to learn and help them out and help them make uh, decisions when, when they need to. Uh, both my sons, uh, went to college, graduated from college and actually encouraged both of them to go out and at least a year, get another job, move off, uh, uh, you know, be on your own, uh, learn to pay the bills, learn to, uh, to make it for yourself. And then tell me after a year or so, uh, what do you want to do? You know, do you really want to come back and work in the family business? Of course they had exposure to it, you know, growing up, uh, you know, if they're, they're not going to sit at home idle when they're not involved in sports and things like that, or they were involved in sports, but off season, you know, they would, they would work at the restaurant. So they had a little taste of it, but, uh, I've been really blessed in that both the boys wanted to come back and, and work for, for, uh, big Bob Gibson. So now I've got one son at each restaurant, they're handling, learning from the back of the house all the way to the front. Spend most of their time in their pit room, but doing uh, what you got to do to run a business. And uh, they've taken a huge amount of pressure off my back. And I can concentrate on, uh, you know, projects that I've got outside of the restaurant and special product projects in, in the restaurant. Uh, hey, they're the ones keeping it uh, real back home. While I'm out in Fort Worth talking to you. I have to imagine that there's, you know, a couple different weird or not weird, but unique dynamics um, with your sons. You have 
you know, this guy, uh, Chris Lilly, and he's five-time Memphis May world champion, and he's seen all the success, and uh, all of which you've earned, by the way. Uh, you've been on television a bunch. You've sold a billion cookbooks, all this stuff. So for them to want to get into that shadow, I mean, there's a pretty tall order there that's been filled, and I would imagine somebody that's got the Lilly last name, there is a certain expectation that's going to be set on them, and there's going to be a set of eyeballs or sets of eyeballs that are going to hold them to a different standard because you are, did you ever worry about that particular situation, how they were going to be evaluated because of who you are? No, I'm just trying to put them in a situation where they can succeed uh, to learn all aspects of the barbecue industry, not only in the, um, in the restaurant, but the things I do on the road as well. So I'm very inclusive of them uh, when uh, when the Food Network comes in town to shoot, uh, as a matter of fact, they're actually coming in town Monday to do a uh, a uh, a hand dug brick pit in my backyard, and we're just gonna uh, do that. Of course, my boys are gonna participate and come over there. So it's all about learning the restaurant business, but but also the different aspects in the barbecue industry that I've been involved in, from television to competitions to festivals such as the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party or the South Beach Wine and Food Festival and, and things. They need to uh, get out. They need the exposure. They need to make their own contacts and things like that and uh, find out really where their personality and temperament's going to uh, let them excel within the industry. Mike had mentioned that when Amy kind of came back into the fold and, and really wanted to get into it with him, he you, you could almost kind of have a, a palatable sense of uh, not only relief but appreciation that while he didn't want to push one or both of them into the business that he was happy with the fact that she was in there and he had mentioned that he feels comfortable now when he decides to to get i doubt he'll ever get out of it but what he <laughs> decided to get out of it he would be very comfortable turning it over to her because obviously there's the whole family thing that's in there but she has learned you know when she started with him and all the way up to, to where they are today do you have a, a similar potential appreciation you know your boys are in the restaurants they're doing everything they're learning everything so when it comes time to potentially turn it over to them that it's family and that they have built that investment in it yeah two things uh one i, th I think amy mills and mike mills are the perfect example how the next generation can come in and and give the restaurant some new life and new direction you know for what amy has done on top of what mike has done they're both their strengths are in totally different areas and uh they complement each other so well so uh you can't argue with the success that amy's had once she, she joined the team so that is uh, sort of what i want to do with my boys you, you know, look back to Big Bob Gibson's and and, and then Don McLemore, uh, uh, Big Bob's grandson, you know, after that, you know, his mother and father had run the business after Big Bob. Um, and then you take myself and my wife, Amy, and now my two kids, we're talking fifth generation, uh, you know, and I think the best thing that I can do is take the cooking techniques and what I learned in the pit rooms when I first started in and since 1991. The best thing that I can do and my best accomplishment in barbecue is going to be teaching it teach, teaching it to the new generation and passing that knowledge and that art on so it can just keep on going. And uh, that's, uh, 
you know, ribbons, trophies, uh, the success of the restaurant. What I'm most proud of is being able to teach a new generation uh, the art of barbecue, something that will carry on into the future. So let's talk about that for a second. When you were coming up through the pit room, you're being taught by whoever the, the pit master was of the day, and you're trying to pass that along as well. As time passes, things evolve. So when you're passing it down, is there an expectation that what you're teaching them is what they are going to learn and then they're going to take that and teach the next generation? Or do you have to assume that there's going to be some of their own input, some of whatever the new evolution of barbecue is going to be that's kind of intertwined in that learning process? I actually expect there be uh, there to be some of their own input. I would be disappointed if they didn't take what I passed down and give to them and, and make it better down the road. Um, you know, barbecue has changed, you know, a whole lot over the years, you know, you know, it starts with the simple techniques that, uh, big Bob Gibson, uh, you know, handed down and it's, uh, but, but it's that simplicity that makes barbecue real. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully the things that I've done over, you know, the last couple of decades really, uh, have added to and, uh, and, and taken big Bob Gibson to another place. I would love for my sons to, uh, to come in, learn, and then, uh, and then teach me. That's one thing. And that's one reason I'm here at MBBQA. You never stop learning. Uh, you know, you're, you're out there talking to people and I'm answering questions, but to what they don't know is I'm, I'm probably learning just as much as them, uh, when they come and ask the questions and things like that. And, and that's what, that's what this is, this weekend's good it's good to uh, talk barbecue and just trade ideas, and I guarantee I'll leave this weekend with one or two new ideas that I can go back to the restaurant and implement. You're a five-time Memphis and May world champ uh, along with the team, and you've been there for every single championship, uh, probably the driving force, I guess a lot of people would say. If you decided to ever get out of it, I mean, you know, it seems weird. You're, you're in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. You're a young guy, prime of your life. I mean, you probably got... What, 20 years, 30 years of competing if you wanted to. Um, but if you decided to get out of it in two years or three years, would there be an expectation that Big Bob Gibson's in whatever form that team would be would still be at Memphis and May competing for world championships? You know, I think absolutely. Again, it's not going to be something that I force on uh, Jacob and Andrew, my two sons, you know, to carry it. But I think they're at a point now where they really, really, um, you know, enjoy what we're doing. Uh, you know, and I don't run the circuit. Uh, you know, I don't uh, run the circuit. Uh, you know, I'll do about four contests a year. Uh, but they're con the contests that are very meaningful to me and really special. Um, you know, uh, it's you go back to this last year in Memphis in May. Um, I didn't stay up all night with the meet. I went uh, back to the hotel room and got a good night's sleep and came back. It was my two sons that ran the night shift. So, you know, you're talking about passing it on. It's already being passed on. Now I can enjoy the contest a little bit more. And uh, and I can actually appreciate the victory a little bit more knowing that my two sons had a big part of us winning. Chris Lilly joining me here on the show, Big Bob Gibson's. Chris, let's do a little Mike Mills interview with you for, you know, for the folks that don't have the whole backstory where did you grow up and did you come from a family or was it a region of the country that was really steeped in the live fire and, and barbecue and grilling? Great question. So I grew up in Florence, Alabama, and that is still North Alabama. So I'm about an hour from Decatur, still on the Tennessee River as it uh, as it flows. And uh, 
my, you know, my first memory of barbecue was actually in my, my backyard with my father. And I remember the first grill that he had, it was, uh, one of those, uh, cast aluminum PK grills that they've started making now. So it's probably still around, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so I remember cooking with him in the backyard, uh, you know, charcoal grilling and, and doing some barbecue, but he had a passion for barbecue. So I still actually remember going to, some of the old uh, barbecue joints around Decatur and, you know, watching the pitmasters and things like that. Um, it's interesting. My uh, father, he graduated with a degree from Georgia Tech and he was an architect, but he was a builder in Decatur. And uh, he built a barbecue joint called Dick Howell's Barbecue in, in Florence and built the restaurant and the old pit and everything like that. So, uh, so I still, you know, have memories of going in there and seeing the pit room and things like that. So, so yeah, there was always a love there, but I never dreamed I'd be doing barbecue. You know, I met my wife in college. Uh, my degrees in marketing and finance, and my wife met her, married her, and just so happens uh, her great grandfather was Big Bob Gibson, who started the restaurant in 1925. So um, I moved to Franklin, Tennessee, for about a year, but that's all it took uh, for her father to offer me the job, and I went to the cater, and uh, that was in 1991. Been been doing barbecue full time ever since. Were, um, were you familiar with Big Bob Gibson's at that point? Everybody in North Alabama is familiar yeah. with Big Bob Gibson's. Uh, you know, it's always been considered, you know, some fantastic barbecue and great barbecue. Um, uh, I just wanted to let the world know it. You're a finance major. Are you a Tide guy or? You University of Roll Tide. Roll Tide. As a matter of fact, I've <laughs> probably sent so much money to, the, to Tuscaloosa in the, in the past uh, 10 years or so. So both my sons graduated from the university, and my my daughter is a senior there right now. Oh, so, wow. It's a whole so, thing. Yeah, I'm I'm supporting the school. <laughs> matter of fact, um, Jacob, my oldest son's first year was uh, when Nick Saban came in and won his first national championship. So I like to think that I'm probably Not the coincidence. reason. Not, Not coincidence. coincidence. I'm right. the reason Alabama has <laughs> gone on this mega run with Nick Saban. So when you're a finance major, University of Alabama, and you get out, you move to Tennessee, and then you're offered the job to go to Big Bob Gibson's, is it has to do with something in the business or the finance side, or is it pretty much everything that has to do with operations? You know, and, and my majors are uh, finance and marketing, and I use both every day. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, of course, running the business and you're dealing with numbers and finance and, uh, you know, percentages and will it work. And uh, but uh, the marketing aspect of it, too, you know, uh, when we started getting recognition for winning the contest, you know, it gave us a platform so we could get some national publicity you know, through television and uh, magazines and newspapers and things like that. So, um, so, uh, that's when I really got to use my marketing degree. Uh, you know, uh, when we really started winning the contest and, and we were able to spread the word about the big Bob Gibson story and the history of barbecue in Decatur, Alabama. So when you get to college and before you get to big Bob Gibson's, was it still just like a lot of grilling and, and maybe some tailgating stuff or did you, really develop uh, more of a passion for cooking at that point? Oh, ab absolutely developed my passion for barbecue at Big Bob Gibson's after I joined. Now, I always like cooking and dabbling around with grilling and things in the backyard, but as far as barbecue goes, you know, I was thrown into the fire, you know, uh, per se. I, I started in the pit room. I learned from a gentleman by the name of Jerry Knighton. Jerry started working for Big Bob when he was 13 years old. <laughs> 
I think he, that's illegal. <laughs> and he, exactly. And he worked there his entire life. Wow. He did nothing but cook barbecue his entire life. And he taught me and he has since passed away. So he led a long, uh, great barbecue life in the pit rooms at Big Bob Gibson's and, uh, and, and gave me the information of the base of, of what I still do today. We might have had Sam Jones in here. Um, he has since uh, otherwise been committed. But, you know, I, I wanted to ask you guys. He's obviously well-known. I mean, talk about a, a famous barbecue family. I mean, Jones is synonymous with Whole Hog. He has Skylight Inn, Sam Jones Barbecue. How do you think your guys' cooking styles compare and contrast? I mean, obviously, we're talking about, you know, you're the shoulder master. He's got the Whole Hog thing. But how do you – is there any similarities, you think? Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of simil similarities because um, his style of cooking really almost mirrors mirrors mine. I love the flavor of uh, fat rendering on the coals. You almost get sort of a charred moisture, um, and that's what I do in competition. That's what we do at the restaurant as well. But I uh, love the extra charred flavor you get. And you take uh, Sam and what they've been doing in Carolina for uh, forever. His family's got, gosh— you know, similar uh, generational, um, uh, you know, knowledge, and uh, they've been around a long time. So uh, so he knows barbecue. His family knows barbecue. But uh, so I would say that m my style in Decatur mostly mirrors a sort of a North Carolina-style barbecue where you've got some drippage, you've got some coals, you've got some uh, real hickory wood. Uh, and I'm definitely more partial to vinegar-based sauces than I am uh, sweet tomato-based sauces. Um, uh, really like that that style of sauce. And actually, Big Bob Gibson did as well. He had two his two original sauces. One uh, was closer to probably Eastern North uh, North Carolina sauce. He called it a sop mop that he'd mop the shoulders with. And then the white sauce, which is another vinegar sauce, vinegar and mayonnaise. So uh, so our styles are similar. And I'll give a shout out real quick to uh, Sam Jones and another gentleman by the name of uh, Rodney Scott that have done some great things this year and are being recognized by the James Beard Foundation. And they're nominated for the uh, best chef in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Franklin did that uh, and actually won the, uh, in the last couple of years here out of Texas. Um and uh, for the for the James Beer Foundation Foundation to really start recognizing these barbecue pitmasters and then the work that they do, gosh, it's it's fantastic for them. It's fantastic for barbecue. Anybody, anytime people start talking about barbecue national, it's uh, nationally, it's good for us. It's good for you, Greg. It's yep. good for me. It's good for everybody. So I uh, definitely want to toot their horn and congratulate them. Plus, 82 year old Tootsie Tominance over at Snow's Barbecue, also uh, a yes. nominee as well. Um, yes. Is it surprising to you that it took an Aaron Franklin to open those floodgates to get those nominations and stuff, or not surprising? Yeah, I think it was a, a gradual acceptance, you know, over the years of uh, of chefs that have been trained, uh, you know, in French cuisine or at the culinary schools to really have a deep appreciation for barbecue. You know, uh, you know, probably a couple, de uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I started seeing chefs would, you know, actually start contacting me and want to learn barbecue because they did not get it in culinary school. And and that was, uh, you know, something that they felt was m missing from their repertoire. Uh, so, so I think it's gradual, 
but it really came to a head with Aaron and he started getting some great national publicity. He was doing some great things in Austin. So I think he sort of opened the floodgates for, uh, for, uh, at least for the James Beard foundation to recognize, uh, the pit masters. But I think over the years, it's, it's been sort of gradual and that you're seeing more attention, uh, you know, paid to Southern cuisine and, uh, you know, and barbecue and pit masters and the art of, uh, smoke and fire. There's a, I think, a, still an uptake as far, maybe even a continued explosion as barbecue and grilling is related to the backyard. Um, and I think a lot of that continues to be credited back to those TV shows, you know, the very first version of whatever Barbecue Pitmasters was. Uh, your idea and, and John Marcus kicking it around at the Big Apple Dock Party, I think, uh, or maybe he had come down to Big Bob Gibson's. But whatever that first version was, and then it was a different iteration and then a different iteration. And, you know, all of a sudden, everybody wants to be the best barbecue and the best griller in their neighborhood. And they're starting to get into competitions and stuff. It seems like it's trended down a little bit from a TV side of things. Are you surprised or not surprised that barbecue on television was super popular and now it's trying to trend it off a little bit or where do you see it in the future, I guess? You know, uh, I think as far as the competition element, you're right. Uh, you know, it was, uh, many different things on television, you know, and, uh, and barbecue pit masters had a really good run as well. So I think the competition element of barbecue on television may be trending down a little bit, but I think as a whole barbecue, uh, when you, when you really start and it, it, now it's more about sort of the old school and the wood and the fire and the, um, almost like, a you know, it's, how do I say it? It's, it's less about the competition and more about the history and the style and the, and and, and really the guts of barbecue, what is true barbecue. And so I think in the future, in the near future, you're going to see probably a lot more documentaries, a lot more, uh, you know, history type things on barbecue. Uh, I think I'm seeing a lot more interest and in people are asking me probably less about competition questions and more about, you know, how did Big Bob Gibson do it uh, about the, you know, how to build a pit yourself, the, the, you know, uh, you know, wood and coals and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see how it's uh, the, uh, the authenticity of barbecue in the history of barbecue in America, I think is sort of maybe a different tangent or a new tangent. And to, um, to talk a little bit more about that, if, uh, in the first of May, I think it's the first week in, in May, the Atlanta history center is opening up a national barbecue museum that, that dates back and traces the history of the barbecue. And this is, you know, you think about barbecue as America's one true cuisine. And I still think that it is America's food. I mean, it, it had so much input and diversity from, uh, from, from the slaves to the immigrants to, uh, to the, uh, to, you know, people, you know, you look around here in Texas, you know, you've got so much influence with the meat markets and the Czechs and the Germans and things like that. So it is, it, it's just so much influence from such diverse culture and diverse, uh, diverse people. Uh, barbecue is America's true cuisine. So I really can't wait to get Atlanta to, uh, to see this museum open. And, you know, it, it, it takes in race and religion and politics and barbecue 
and uh and you know the whole story of barbecue it leaves nothing out so i'm excited about that and that's atlanta history center in uh in uh, opening i think in may and it'll run for a year in atlanta speaking of may uh one of your favorite competitions memphis in may obviously going to be looking to defend that title again and maybe notch number six that would be awesome what's the competition schedule looking like otherwise well, Memphis in May will be our next one. So we'll do Memphis. Uh, definitely the American Royal uh, will follow that. Um, again, I do less competitions. More of my travels now are, uh, you know, uh, a lot of corporate uh, events coming up that I'm excited about and uh, and a few contests and then some festivals, Atlanta uh, Food and Wine Festival and Big Apple Barbecue Block Party coming up as well. When you go to an event like this, somebody's going to walk away and say, hey, the best part of the weekend was I got to spend a couple minutes with Chris Lilly. <laughs> when you do a corporate event or I think you were doing stuff for like Hendrix Motorsports and, you know, some of these other like what's what's a big win for you? Like who's on the top of your mind? You're like, hey, I can't believe I got to meet that guy or go. A big win for me is going places that I've never been and meeting people that I never thought I would get to meet. And uh, and, you know, all about all just because I cook barbecue. Uh, a few neat events that I've got coming up is um, uh, going, actually coming back to Dallas, to Arlington, uh, Texas, uh, to see the Texas Rangers opening day. I'm doing a tailgate with Big Poppy. Uh, nice. That is a Kingsford sponsored <laughs> event coming up. So that's just, you know, that's one example. Another example is uh, just I was just hired by Microsoft to go down to the Players' Ch- Championship Golf Tournament uh at tpc sawgrass uh to do a gig for them down there and you better believe i'm going to stay the weekend and watch some golf um going to uh going to maui uh in uh it'll be my first trip to hawaii uh in july uh i believe sam jones will be there too uh all because i cook barbecue uh so uh you know it's a lot of a lot of places i go now and people i meet that uh I'm just still in awe and still kicking myself. Uh, you know, I never would have dreamed that, I, that I'm doing the things and enjoying life like I am now because I know how to build a fire and cook a, cook meat. <laughs> Maybe a little more than that. But, um, last question before I let you go, and I appreciate the time as always. Let's talk about the term pit master. Um, anything with master at the end of it seems like uh, there there's this echelon that somebody has reached, but I think, the term pitmaster, especially in the barbecue and grilling community, is tossed around. And I'm wondering, does there need to be some type of a true definition of what a pitmaster is? Or can we all agree that, hey, pitmaster means it's my house, I got this cooker, and I'm in charge <laughs> of cooking the meat? Like, what does that term mean to you? I think I think you're right. I think it's overused term, and uh, people are running into the ground. Um, uh, there are not a whole lot of pitmasters out there. Uh, when I think of pitmaster, I think of somebody who spent their whole life, um, and uh, most of the pitmasters aren't recognized. You don't know who they are, but they're back in the pit rooms, uh, and that's what they do every day. You know, you brought up uh, Tootsie. You know, now there's a pitmaster. Yeah, you know. Right. There's a pit master, you know, that's what she's doing every weekend, you know, um, you know, getting up before the, the sun gets up and that's what, you know, that's what she does. So, uh, uh, so yes, I think people use that, uh, loosely. Um, but, uh, to me, uh, a pit master definitely has, uh, has a lot more meaning. Chris Lilly from big Bob Gibson's joining me here on the barbecue central show. Always great to get caught up with you. Appreciate you coming in and, uh, I will, 
release you to the general public and <laughs> hopefully that works out okay for you thanks greg appreciate yeah. the invitation brother thanks for coming in it's chris Lilly right here on the show uh we will you can go ahead and take off here um let me grab your winner here for the book i'll get that to you all right, all right. as we connect in here we go the winner is kevin uber Big Bob Gibson's first. So Kevin's the winner. We'll get his information, give it over to Chris Lilly. That is Chris Lilly, by the way. And we are uh, ever so happy to have him here on the show. Uh, let me talk to you quickly about AmazingRibs.com. That's right. Sponsored me down here. So, hey, man, are you looking for a great place to go to hang out and cook barbecue? And, oh, by the way, it's only $25 a year, actually a little less than $25 a year. Then the Amazing Ribs Pitmaster Club is somewhere you're going to want to go. So hit up AmazingRibs.com. And then I believe it's up towards the top right. There is a Pitmaster Club section. You can click in. You can read all about the cool stuff that you're going to get. But here's what I can tell you. I've been a member of the Pitmasters Club at AmazingRibs.com for four years now. There is a barbecue forum, so if you want to go ahead and check out what the latest and greatest cooking techniques are, uh, obviously you have free perusal of the free website, but then you have this back end to get into a forum where you can post questions, you can have people that have less knowledge or the same knowledge or more knowledge than you give all of their answers, so you have a well-rounded resource to take advantage of. It's really quite a substantial value for what only ends up being $24 uh, or so a year. Not only that, but yours truly does a weekly pitcast, which is a pre-recorded podcast specifically dedicated to the pit members and uh, get special interviews and all this other stuff. There's a video uh, library with uh, big names in the industry that may or may not be being revamped at this point. Access to recipes. Meathead will be dropping... Uh, releases of chapters of his book. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So again, it's not $24 a month. It's $24 for the entire year. So I would encourage you to go ahead and check it out. It's the AmazingRibs.com Pitmasters Club. And hey, they sponsored me right here at the National Barbecue and Grilling Associations. Uh, that was Chris Lilly. And we will be right back as we reload. And jump into the beginning of the second hour on the Barbecue Central Show. Stick around. We'll be right back. Now's the time on the show where we give stuff away. Yeah. It's free and you don't have to pay a thing. That's why it's free. All right, welcome back. Your chance to win something new again. How's the audio, by the way? I forgot to fire up my Facebook feed. I'm just wondering how the sound quality starts. Uh, Chad was a little bit of a low talker there on uh, Ash, the kick-ash baskets. I must be the only one that gimmicks up when I talk. That's why my wife hates it. She's like, your voice changes so much when you get on that show. I'm like, well, yeah, but if I'm not... 
perking somebody's interest by talking excitedly. Everybody's going to tune out or, or worse, go to bed. Hey, anyway, Kevin Huber was the guy that won the Big Bob Gibson cookbook. So, Kevin, email me your shipping address, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Hey, if you want to win something new this time around, I want to help you out. I have brand new, freshly minted Barbecue Central Show t-shirts. So if you would like a Barbecue Central Show t-shirt, just go ahead and send me an email. And in the subject line, put barbecue fat. And you can use P-H-A-T or F-A-T or whatever. I'm happy to do whatever fat you would like. And the first one in will win a fresh... I didn't bring one, of course, today. But it's a, a triple blend shirt. It's gray and the black. It's got the new Barbecue Central Show logo. And on the back it says, we'll do it live. So be the first one to send me an email and in the subject line, barbecue fat. And I will give you a t-shirt. We'll send it out next week when I get back. Now, if you're wondering, I did do the right thing by the barbecue folks. The smallest size that I have in stock is extra large. I have double XL, triple XL, and 4XL. I said 4XL. So I think I got the barbecue community, as far as guys are concerned, covered. All right, we'll be back. Oh, I'm sorry. So barbecue fat. Greg at the BBQ Central Show. Barbecue fat in the subject line. And you can win a brand new t-shirt. Good luck. I need to get on the air. Call 216-220-0966. Now, let's get back to the LeBron James of Barbecue Talk. Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. We are broadcasting live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IMBBQ 2018 yearly conference here in Fort Worth, Texas. We are at the River Ranch Stockyards. So if you are out and about here in the greater Fort Worth area, please stop by. I believe there is some type of an admission charge here today. And uh, it started early. I was here at uh, 7 a.m. Central Time doing a bunch of show prep and making sure that I was going to be well-versed, as it were, in, uh, in the form of questions and uh, making sure that I'm asking the right stuff for my guests. So if you are just tuning in right now, no fear. You can go back here on the Facebook and check everything out and uh, get all the uh, audio archives off of Facebook if you want. If you don't want to watch the video and you are a subscriber here to my podcast, even better news because... This show will be uploaded at some point today, and you will be able to take it in just like you would normally the regular Tuesday show. This week, you are getting a extra special dose of the Barbecue Central show. You got the Tuesday show. You have stuff that's being dropped in the feed all day today from pre-recorded interviews that I got yesterday, and then I'm doing this show live. This will also be dropped in at some point. You have yesterday's show that was being dropped in. There is a ton of content that is going on, but like I told Chris, it's not quantity of content that I'm here. There are some other people here, no names please, that are doing, they're capturing a lot of stuff. There is a lot of quantity going on there. 
However, I have always been under the belief that it, it might be better to be a quality than quantity. So that's just uh, my particular opinion, and I will continue to operate like that. Let me uh, change the camera angle a little bit here. I can't tell if... Oh, shysters. I don't know if that went up too high or not. Yeah, a little bit. So we'll take that down. Let me do my own managing here real quick. There we go. That looks better. So again, I'm more of the, the quality stuff than the quantity. So what you, now, if you're comparing it to what you would normally get on a Tuesday, a lot of quantity coming in. But I think what you get, although it might not be 30 and 40 minutes long, you might get a seven-minute interview. You might get a six-minute interview. But it's going to be tight. It's going to be to the point. It's going to bring some value and give you kind of a behind-the-scenes look of what's going on here at the NBBQA. Coming up in about 15 minutes from now, Sean Walchef from Cali Comfort Barbecue, Behind the Smoke Podcast, Barbecue War Stories will be joining me, and we're going to talk to him about his show. And uh, more importantly, we'll be talking to him about how he got started in the barbecue business. I think he's got a pretty unique story in the fact that originally, if I'm not mistaken, his restaurant was a breakfast restaurant. And there was some type of a precipitating event that we will find out about that got him to change to a barbecue restaurant. And being a breakfast restaurant, turning into a barbecue restaurant, I mean, that is a pretty big turn of foot. So we'll talk to him about how he was originally inspired to do that, how he actually made that transition, how he makes good barbecue out in California, what the barbecue scene is like where he is. I believe he's down in uh, San Diego area. So looking forward to catching up with Sean. And then at 2.15, at least Linda Orison will be in this studio or this uh, recording room. Potentially the head shed head, Brad Orison will be in as well, but uh, Linda definitely. So we'll be talking with Linda about the past. Uh, there's a whole topic that she wanted to talk about that I can't remember off the top of my head because I'm not prepped well. So a lot of you have been sending me emails over the course of the last uh, 36 hours going, hey, what's happening at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association outside of the event itself. And I'm happy to tell you. Let me do this, though. I want to give you the results because uh, people were asking me about the results of the awards of excellence, and I do have that. Let me pull that up here on my iPad. So I believe there was a whole new category this year. In 2018, which is this year, they also unveiled the Barbecue Media Awards. There were a number of different categories as it relates to Barbecue Media Awards. There's only one that really matters, of course, and uh, that is the audio or, uh, or podcast portion of it, which we're all hoping, hoping. But let me give you the rundown of the 2018 Barbecue Media Awards. I believe these might have been released before they were actually made public to us here at the convention. There was a photography category. Subcategories were live fire. The first, uh, the first winner, Robert Jacob Lerma, won in the live fire. Then you had a barbecue food picture, Booma Bromage, Booma Bromage from Booma's Barbecue, won that one. Then there was a barbecue character. Again, Robert Jacob Lerma was the winner there. And then there was a personal photo subcategory. That one was also won by Robert Jacob Lerma. And the final photo subcategory was commercial photo. 
Robert Jacob Lerma killing it in the photos. I don't know who Robert Jacob Lerma is, but I can tell you this. I definitely want his contact information, and I'm going to fly him out to the Barbecue Central Show compound so he can take pictures of me so I have the chance of winning something here. Because he won it all, aside from the Boomer's Barbecue picture. He took a clean sweep of everything in the digital media photograph category. We continue to the digital media portion of the results. Video series, a Pitmaster's story by Twisted Q Barbecue. Second place and guest tomorrow, Jason Ganahl from GQ Barbecue, so shout out to him. Then there was the single video subcategory, Old World Spices and Seasonings wins for that. Operation Barbecue Relief brings meals to devastated communities. By the way, not the only time you heard Old World Seasoning and Spices mentioned. Uh, Sterling Smith yesterday said that that was the company that uh, contacted him about getting his sauces and rubs out into the market. By the way, GQ Barbecue fourth place in that category if you're keeping track. And then it came to the granddaddy of them all, the only real important category, audio series. Winning that one, not this show. Winning the audio series, Jimmy Shotwell, Forrest Goodman from The Rub. Congratulations to them. Second place, Smoking Hot Confessions. I believe that guy's name is Ben. Is it Ben Arnett or something along those lines? Uh, that is a Australian-based podcast. So not only are domestic podcasts kicking my ass, but international podcasts are kicking my ass, <laughs> which is fine. Number three, quick friends, I might add, uh, to this guy, especially over the last handful of weeks. On my show, just this past... Is that right? Hold on. Let me guess. Two weeks ago, they were on the show, filling in. The best barbecue show, guys. Take third place in best audio series. Fourth place and guest here on this show in about eight minutes from now. Sean and Derek from Behind the Smoke, Barbecue War Stories. Fifth place... For real, but first place in your heart, the Barbecue Central Show. Well-deserved. And rounding out the top six in audio series, the Barbecue Beat. All right. We continue on. Uh, Grill Greats for uh, Best Website. Grill Greats wins that one. Best, bo uh, best Barbecue Blog. Bush Cooking wins that one. And then in the publications category, the subcategory of periodical, National Barbecue News, and Cal Phelps, so congratulations to him. Single article winner was Operation Barbecue Relief Beyond Numbers. And the best barbecue book was The South's Best Butts by Matt Moore. I'm looking to see... Meathead said his book was third place, but I have to be honest. Meathead, I don't see your book anywhere on the list. Salt Block Grilling was second. Praise the Lard by Mike Mills and Amy Mills was third. Barbecue Sauce Rubs and Marinades. Stephen Reichlin, Pitmaster from Andy Husbands and Chris Hart was fifth. And then Vegetables on Fire by Brooke Louie was sixth place. Uh, Meathead, I don't see you. Get that big stuff out of here. 
how could the great the the science of great barbecue and grilling not be on? That seems like a travesty. Meathead, did you enter? I don't know. Uh, by the way, need to tell you who won the T-shirt, and I'm going to tell you who won that T-shirt. Drum roll, please. Sean Steffi. Is that your name? Because it's coming up as Sean Erickson in my email. But uh, Sean Steffi wins the shirt. So, Sean, if you're listening, go ahead and send me your shipping information. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And I will get a shirt out to you. Please, in your email back to me with your shipping address, include the shirt size. XL, double XL, triple XL, or 4X. And I'll get it out to you. Again, accommodating best I can. So, oh, I didn't want to do that. Steve Ray weighing in here on the email. Today's camera angle looks way better than yesterday. More of you and the guests and less plywood. I love it. I've actually tucked myself off into the corner because I realized while I was interviewing people yesterday my neck was turned, and I was getting a kink in my neck by like two hours and 15 minutes into the show. And it was very, very hurtful in that last hour. That was the other thing I realized. Uh, people were asking me, well, how did the live show go yesterday? And I said, hey, I'm learning a lot of things. I learned that what I'm hearing in my ears doesn't necessarily translate over into what you're getting in the live stream. I also learned that what I'm hearing in my ears does necessarily reflect what's happening in the live stream. I got a lot of good feedback through instant messages and emails saying that the overall quality of the show yesterday was good. There were some drops, there were some lapses, there were some lags, but I tried to spend a lot of time after the fact tightening up the process and making sure that uh, I wasn't trying to multitask too much this time around. And I think we're accomplishing that at least an hour and 26 minutes into the second show today. So I appreciate uh, Steve for weighing in. By the way, Steve is the official Embedded Tennessee correspondent. Again, still to come on the show today, Sean Walcheff and Linda Orison, potentially Brad Orison. Sean will be coming up here in about five minutes from now, uh, actually about four minutes from now. And again, thanks to AmazingRibs.com and the Pitmasters Forum for getting me down here. Also to NBBQA, uh, the CEO of NBBQA, Stuart Meyer, said that he was going to crash the show at some point. So I'm not sure exactly when that is going to happen. Hopefully it happens to be like in a segment like this where we're kind of in between. I had Chris Lilly booked for an hour, but I wanted to give him some time to get out there and get some of that fanfare out of the way and then have him be able to be ready for his uh, Meet the Masters panel. I'm not sure who's... I don't. I was looking on the roster on who's moderating that panel, but, I mean, would there be a better choice on Meet the Masters panel for moderation than this guy? Come on. I just, I just did a clinic on how to meet the Masters here on this show with Chris Lilly. That was live. I don't think there's a been a time when I have been in the same room with Chris Lilly where we've been doing a live interview. So this is kind of a dream come true for me. And uh, yesterday was incredible having Mike Mills on the show. And uh, I mean, we're in the same freaking room. I mean, if you're not a barbecue fan, 
it just kind of flies right over your head. It's no big deal for you. But uh, to know who these people are, I mean, if you have a passion for any type of industry and you had access or the ability, luckily, to sit down with some of the true legends of the industry and folks that are continuing to blaze that trail for us, it's quite an honor. And then to be able to talk with them about their lives and the uh, contributions that they have been able to make here in the barbecue and grilling industry is just kind of icing on the cake for me. So I'm very happy to be here and very happy that National Barbecue and Grilling Association has uh, allowed me the benefit of coming in here and uh, doing what it is I do. So I am going to track down Sean Walchef. You go ahead and listen to this sweet tune. And we will be back right after this. I might make a pit stop. I'm not sure. Got to get some water. Uh, I didn't realize that talking for three hours was going to be so taxing. I'm used to two hours, but stretching out that one extra hour, I mean, who knew all about it? So uh, stick around for the Sean Walchef interview, Barbecue War Stories. Give me two minutes. Give me two minutes. And uh, we will be back. Live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IM BBQ 2018 conference, you're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Facebooks and the Barbecue Central Network. We continue the cavalcade of free prizes. It was a Chris Lilly cookbook first. Then it was a freshly minted Barbecue Central Show t-shirt last time. And congratulations to Sean for winning that. Kevin wins the cookbook. Uh, Sean is here from Behind the Smoke, and he has offered up a swag bag. Swag bag. Swag bag. Uh, What's in that? Behind the Smoke. Uh, We're going to hook him up with a jacket. Jacket. We're going to hook him up with a t-shirt, a hat, stickers, uh, and a badass coffee mug so all you have to do is be the first one in with an email and then the subject line behind the smoke it's just that easy to win here on the barbecue central show so first email in in the subject line behind the smoke and you can win a ridiculously priced swag bag all the way for free good luck continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back to the National Barbecue and Grilling Association's IMBBQ 2018 live broadcast, 12 to 3 every day right here. We're going to do it again tomorrow, Saturday. That's going to be a whole different scenario. It's uh, like a... It's kind of like uh, people that are in the industry today, yesterday, they're selling pits, they're selling cookers, they're in the barbecue restaurant business. You're in the barbecue restaurant business. But tomorrow, there's going to be like superstars and there's going to be contests. There's actually a contest tonight. So uh, really looking forward to that and appreciate the opportunity the MBBQA is giving us here uh, from a podcaster slash uh, internet show perspective. Uh, Sean Walchef from Cali Comfort Barbecue and co-host of Behind the Smoke. 
Barbecue War Stories is my guest here for the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, Sean, really appreciate you making time here for the show, and welcome to the show for the first time. Um, let's uh, get a little background uh, from you before we get into, I guess, the, the restaurant business and, and the barbecue stuff. Uh, where do you live? Where'd you grow up? Have you been around live fire barbecue and grilling all your life? And we'll kind of build in from there. Well, first off, Greg, I want to uh, compliment you on everything you've been doing for the barbecue industry. I mean, you've been doing this game long before podcasting was cool. And I know podcasting is, is gotten... podcast cool yet. <laughs> I don't I don't know. We're we're we're, we're out there pretending like it is uh, talking to as many people as we can around the globe. Uh, about audio technology just because it's our passion um, as, as well as with barbecue and building business. But yeah, my uh, I'm from San Diego. I grew up out there and uh, it's me and my wife uh, and my son. We, uh, we own Cali Comfort Barbecue and we're going to be celebrating 10 years in business this coming up April. So wow. we've, uh, we've had a lot of battle scars. Uh, we opened up, we took over an existing breakfast restaurant and uh, added a sports bar and a dinner service. We actually didn't even do barbecue when we first opened up in 2008. But uh, we started getting a bunch of requests from Little League teams, Pop Warner teams, wanting to raise money um, to help them get equipment. Uh, and one of the things, you know, I've always played sports throughout my life, and I learned a lot on those sporting fields um, through coaches, through just being on a team. Um, and I felt that was important to do whatever we could as a restaurant. Uh, we're located in Spring Valley, which is a little bit uh, East County, San Diego, off the beaten path. Uh, if you didn't know about it most times, you'd probably just drive right past it. But um, we wanted to do something instead of doing all these little events, we thought that let's do one big event annually and um, threw around some ideas and you know, doing an amateur barbecue contest seemed to be the most popular idea. And I didn't know the first thing about running a barbecue contest. Um, we had competed uh, previously in a KCBS contest up at Viejas, which was smoking in the park. And, you know, we had, my brother was cooking ribs at the time uh, and he thought he had great ribs and we're like, oh, he's going to do fantastic. And, <laughs> you know, we went into this comp and uh, it was it was eye opening to see how serious people take barbecue, and uh, it was a real humbling experience. One of the things that we did benefit was that we were one of the only local restaurants that was out there serving barbecue to the public. So we had a lot of people that were really excited to be able to try barbecue and to be able to come and visit our restaurant, which we thought was cool. Um, we contacted KCBS, asked them for some names uh, of people that could help us possibly put on this contest, and got the name of three people and only one of them called me back and that was Gene Goykachea. He's a KCBS legend. Uh, he was uh, on the NBBQA board, um, CBBQA, and he not only came to meet with me but spent hours if not thousands of hours to help us put on, you know, get rules regulations for an amateur contest and you know, we figured out how to do it that first year and I went to the local butcher shop which uh, is Valley Farm Market. Derek Marceau, um, who I didn't know at the time, I asked if he would be willing to step up and be the meat sponsor um, so that we could get this event off the ground. And he not only stepped up, but he um, he participated. And that that small amateur barbecue event really changed everything for us. What year was that? That was 2009. 2009 was wow. the first year, so October 2009. And, um, you know, from there, it's just been every year, you know, right after that contest, Gene asked, you know, if you want to learn how to do barbecue, I'll teach you how to do it. Um, we started learning the low and slow method and 
brought in his old hickory pits that he was using on the tour uh, and really just transformed. We were Cali Comfort and we went all in. We were Cali Comfort Barbecue after that. And, you know, that really started the barbecue journey. Uh, Derek and I became much closer because of this amateur barbecue contest uh, to the point where now we're putting on a Kansas City Barbecue Society contest with uh, Arlie Bragg. He's kind of like the Don King of running KCBS barbecue events. Uh, he helps us out as, along with Gene Goykachea. And, um, you know, we're going to have our third third event this uh, August 19th. Uh, we're rebranding it the Turf and Surf BBQ Championship. So we have an open category, uh, which is really exciting for us. Um, but being here at MBBQA, this is, you know, we, you and I have exchanged um, emails. We've exchanged messages on Instagram and, you know, along with Best Barbecue Show. And just to see NBBQA, their leadership embracing audio, um, you know, you've been doing it for so long. And I think, you know, for you, it must be weird to see all these people, you know, now, you know, people in Australia smoking hot confessions. You know, we talked to Ben yesterday and it's so cool to it's storytelling, storytelling at its best. You know, that's why people tune into your show is because you have your pulse on what's going on in the industry. And that's something that, you know, it, it's education. And I know it's a passion for you and mm -hmm. you can tell. And that's why people love the show. Sean, as you look back, uh, you know, growing up, were you somebody that came from a family that was always cooking and that people were gathering into the kitchen and secret recipes are being shared and stuff like that? Or did you was the the love of food like a necessity because you were going to be buying a business that was based around food that's a great question you know my i was raised by my grandfather i, I never met my father my mom had me when she was 22 in uh, colorado but when i was six months old uh, my grandfather had told her you know come back move back to san diego um so when i was six months old i, I mean everything i've known has been san diego but my grandfather's bulgarian immigrant um he was born in a village and he went to medical school in Germany during World War II. He didn't speak any German when he applied for medical school. Um, it was because he got rejected in every every uh, medical school in Bulgaria. But he immigrated over to the United States and, you know, he had this just incredible thirst for knowledge. And he was always, you know, trying to learn more and trying to do more. And, you know, after his medical practice, he started getting into real estate and opened up um, an actual uh, breakfast restaurant, which he leased out. And at one point, um, he built an assisted care facility behind the, the restaurant that um, the person that was running the restaurant at the time said that they didn't want to run the restaurant. So we took over as a family. So when I was 12 years old, I went, started going out to bus tables on the weekend. And to be honest with you, I absolutely hated it. You know, it was, you know, I was, I was fortunate to grow up in La Jolla, California, uh, which is a nice part of San Diego. You can say maybe the nicest part. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, my grandfather was very big on education, uh, got, got me to private school at the Bishop school and met some incredible people there. But, you know, going out to work on the weekends was just something that I absolutely hated. I thought it was, you know, it sucked because I wanted to go out, play basketball, you know, hang out on the beach, be with my friends. But it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Is that where the work ethic gets instilled then? I mean, uh, you could easily stereotype it out as you said go play basketball hang out at the beach have that typical left coast lifestyle that everybody's jealous of um <laughs> but you're instead forced to to go out and and bus tables and i would assume that's where that work ethic is instilled in. yeah it's it's where the work ethic was instilled it was also where my love of hospitality um you know there's something that happens when you work in a restaurant you see families come and embrace being there and being around food and sharing time um because that's it's a sacred time, you know, and for people to 
spend their discretionary money at a restaurant, it takes a lot. You know, now that we have our son, we, we know how hard it is to get out of the house. And um, when you do get out of the house, you want to make that a special event and a special memory. And I remember being a young kid and just seeing families come and, you know, they would say, that's our waitress. You know, we want to sit in that section of the restaurant. That's our booth. You know, every time it's dad's birthday, we sit on the back patio and, you know, you make those special memories. And those are the things that, you know, I was drawn to in hospitality. So it was pretty much a no-brainer for you once you got old enough and the family was going to be taking over that restaurant when it was your time to run it. You were just going to not really, no. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I thought I was didn't gonna, want to do that. I, no, I thought I was going to go to law school. I, uh, oh. you know, I applied to go to law school and I got rejected by all three law schools in San Diego. Um, it was kind of a turning point in my life. I uh, decided to start helping my grandfather with his commercial real estate. And, uh, you know, there was always this restaurant, you know, this restaurant um, until we sold the property. I helped my grandfather sell the property uh, 2006. But there was always this restaurant, this missing piece um, that was lurking in the background. And, you know, we got the opportunity once the new owners took over the property. They asked if uh, if we would be willing to take over. And my business partner at the time I met at the University of Colorado, his name was Corey Robinson. He grew up in restaurants also. And we had a liquor license that we could activate on the property. We wanted to add a sports bar and it just sounded, hey, let's add a sports bar. Let's add dinner, even though it's in a part of town that nobody wants to visit, even though it's 2008 and it's not the best time to be opening up a restaurant. Uh, we went ahead and did that. And, you know, that story goes on from there. I don't know we're if still uh, there. <laughs> opening up a restaurant always is ever a great. I mean, it's one of the most volatile business ventures that you can get into. And then couple that with the fact that. Uh, at some point, did you add barbecue right away or that was a progression? Yeah, no, that was a progression. Yeah. So, yeah, we had I mean, we had ribs on the menu, I think, when we started. But um, that was just because my brother had been to culinary school. He went to he was also also at that same culinary school. Lou Bush who used to play for the Chargers was in the same class and they became friends. Lou was big into barbecue. He had a couple uh, barbecue restaurants in San Diego. Some of them opened, some of them closed. He was also opening another one at that time. And um, barbecue was something that we were always drawn to. But it really wasn't until Gene helped us put on that amateur barbecue contest that, uh, you know, you could say we we say you get the barbecue bug and we kind of got it, it infected us. And now it's our blood type. So competition is one thing. And the style of barbecue that you get at competitions is kind of its own monster at Cali Comfort Barbecue and in barbecue backyards all over the place. It's completely different. Yes. Um, even the competitors that are on the circuit will sit there and tell you nine times out of ten. What I do at this competition is not at all like what I'm going to do in the backyard. How or when did you decide we're going to put barbecue in, real barbecue, and then how do you figure out flavor profiles and uh, tastes and sauces and all this stuff? Because maybe you like it, but you're not cooking for you, right? I mean, Correct. you're trying to meet the needs of the general public that's going to be coming in there. Oh, by the way, and I happen to know this, and I'll say this in front of people's face all the time, the general public doesn't know dick about what yep. really good barbecue is. So you, the business owner, has to tread that fine line between trying to serve them what is good barbecue and then perhaps what they think good barbecue is and win that battle and, and bring them over to your side. You know, that's a great question. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we had you know, in the last 10 years is not just us personally learning barbecue low and slow, the, the right way to cook barbecue, um, but also learning the competition side. And, you know, there's been no better mentor than Gene Goykachea, you know, Arlie Bragg recently, uh, Randy Gill. But 
it's so difficult when you're running a restaurant, you know, running a restaurant is so much different than running a comp. And, you know, exactly to your point, you know, in, in Mike Mills and Amy Mills, their book, Praise the Lard, they talk about, you know, when you're running a comp, you're cooking for one bite. You know, when you're running a restaurant, you're not going to cook the same, the same type of food. And it's really, that's really the truth. And for us, you know, we cook a Kansas city style because that's how Gene taught us. So it's dry rub, uh, light sauce. Uh, we do spare ribs. Uh, we do brisket. We do tri-tip, tri-tips, you know, that's our California thing. That's a thing that we hold, hold near and dear to our heart. And, um, for us, for us, every single day is a day to, hone our craft to learn more. And, uh, you know, we're just really, really thankful to go from 18 employees in 2008 to now we have close to 90 employees um, coming up on, you know, our big 10 year celebration. How big of a house is it? How big of a house? It, it was a two bedroom house, but uh, it's a Bulgarian style. So it's kind of a, an add on to an add on. You kind of walk in and you don't realize how big is this restaurant anyways, because yeah. you got a section for the booth, you got you know, uh, the bar and then you, we have banquet rooms. We have a front patio, back patio. Um, we see 225. Um, that's our fire code on a fight night. We can, we can pack them in pretty good. <laughs> California has long had a flavor profile associated with it and it's been more savory. It's been more on the heater side of sweeter. When you were putting it together, what kind of a flavor profile did you have in mind, and has that changed over the time? I think the most important thing was what you know what Gene taught us early on. Is so many people try to screw up barbecue by making it too sexy or adding these chef elements into it. When if you do great barbecue and you have great quality product and you put simple spices on it and you do it the same way and you cook it consistently, you can put out amazing barbecue. And you know one of the things that took a long time for people in California, people in San Diego um, to understand is, you know, once we're out, we're out. Uh, that can be very frustrating at times. You know, if you go to a restaurant at seven o'clock on a Friday and you've heard about this place that has incredible ribs, but for whatever reason, they had a high volume of sales earlier and you're out of ribs. Um, educating the customer back in 2010, it was, it was much harder, but because of new concepts, you know, in San Diego, Coops, West Texas barbecue, Grand Ole barbecue, Iasado, Brazen barbecue, Smoke Hog. I mean, we have a lot of craft barbecue guys that they get it. And because they get it, they implement it into their marketing. Um, so it becomes more of an educational thing. And that's that's the power of the internet. The power of the internet is people want to know more about you know who they're buying it from, what the barbecue is, why it tastes the way it is, why we pick what we pick. Um, and that's really the exciting part about it. When you're hiring in for a cook's position, uh, or perhaps a better question is, do you have people soliciting employment to be taught specifically to be a pit master or to learn the art of barbecue? And will you take those people on and, and mold them into what you think is a proper pit master? So our philosophy is we're always hiring and we're always hiring, but you have to do a blood test. And that blood test is if you have hospitality in your blood and that's front of the house, back of the house. It doesn't matter. Everyone wants to come in and be QB1. You can't be QB1 until you've proven that you can actually play the game. You know, yep. you got to play the game by understanding that there's a bigger game outside of the game. And that's bringing the pads out to practice. That's coming and doing all the little things that it takes to be successful. And you can do whatever you want in our business, you know, for, for all, you can be a partner in the business for all we care, but it's a low and slow process. It's a long journey. And, um, you know, 
we have some incredible people. I mean, that, that's why I'm here today. You know, I wouldn't be able to leave the restaurant if we didn't have, you know, people like Eric uh, running, running the spot. Gene's back there. You know, we have Derek Walls. We, have, we just have an incredible crew. Plus, we have event crew that volunteer their time to help us put on this amateur barbecue contest and this professional contest because we raise money for charity. You know, if we don't have people like Bill Curtis and JC, we can't do this stuff. You know, there's no possible way to grow in order to put on an event like this. I mean, how many volunteers are putting this event on for, and, but this is where the exciting stuff happens. You know, Sean Walchef joining me here on the show, uh, Cali comfort barbecue and behind the smoke barbecue war stories. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, when I mean, is it nerve wracking for you to, to leave? I mean, you know, for me, <laughs> people look at this operation and they see this everything is an I'm doing and they're like, Greg. oh, my God, why don't you get people? And I'm like, well, <laughs> we were kind of talking about it yesterday. And I'm like, well, this is how I started. So I don't know any different. It's like if you've never had kids and you have twins, it's not more overwhelming than I mean, because that's where you started. You started with twins, and, yep. you know, but if you have one kid first and then you have twins second. It can be a little bit overwhelming. So even I'm overwhelmed you... watching you do what you do. Let me just put, right. put it that yeah. way. <laughs> um, so anybody that owns a, a restaurant or a business or whatever uh, is invested in this kind of a, a control freak guy, even though you have a good staff and you know you're supported, is there still trepidation on your part to get on a plane and come out here for three, four, five days? Absolutely. Yeah. How yeah. do you work through that? Uh, you know, it, it's it's learning how to trust. You know, one of the coolest things about the podcast that we started doing recently is we get to interview other people that are much more experienced. They have much more background um, leaders in different industries that they, I mean, Derek and I, we learn more from them really than we, we should be able to, you know, it's, it's almost like a, an MBA where we get to go and sit down with these executives, people that are just doing incredible things. And they talk about delegation. You know, you have to trust your team and you have to build a team. Otherwise it's impossible to scale your business. And, you know, I couldn't, be out here if I was, I, I mean, I am a control freak. You know, it's definitely one of, you know, we, we want it the best and we want it the way that we want it. And, um, but I have to also trust that if I don't let my staff and my team have control of growing that, um, we're just, we'll, we'll never grow. You know, we'll, we'll stay at, stay at where we are. You had mentioned that where you're located, if you don't know about it, or, you know, you could kind of drive right by it. Um, there's a lot of digital media that's been a big thing here. Um, we're being recognized as, as digital media outlets, uh, true media outlets, if you will. And there's been a lot of uh, breakout sessions that have gone over social media. You did a big talk up uh, yesterday along with Derek. How have you found the best way to leverage Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and, and all these other different platforms to give yourself the most bang for what is essentially no buck. I mean, you can yeah. do a lot of free advertising if you can utilize these tools well. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, it, we wouldn't be open today if we didn't embrace digital the way that we had. And because of where we were located, we had to scrap and we had to figure out ways to get people into the restaurant. I mean, 2008, there was still a yellow page, like an actual physical yeah. yellow page yeah. book that if your restaurant wasn't in it, then people wouldn't know about you unless they drove past the restaurant. And I mean, you just learn how to be creative and you learn that, you know, I, I, I tell this a lot, but I made fun of my business partner, Corey, for having a Facebook page when we first opened. Is that you know, the guy? That's uh, Corey. That's not Corey that was here uh, giving our speech. Corey. No, Wagner. you know, the guy at the front of the show. Is that the guy? <laughs> no, that's not. That's not. That's not the voicemail at the front of the show. <laughs> Corey Robinson's like my brother. Yeah, no, he's he's doing real estate up in uh, Marin County and he's embracing digital, too. 
you know, and that's one of the things that excites us the most is it doesn't just impact barbecue. It doesn't just impact restaurants. Um, this is a top of mind subject for everybody. I mean, you can't ignore what Amazon's doing. You can't ignore what Google's doing. You can. But eventually, you know, you'll be blockbuster. And, yep. you know, that's the thing that excites us the most. That's why you and I have become as close as we are. We're as close with Stover and Yoni. I mean, they're out in Austin. Now we're building relationships globally of people that are passionate about fire. And all we're doing is telling stories about that to other people and how we connect. You know, we get messages, emails, and I'm sure you've been do you've been doing this for the last 10 years. We're, we're not anywhere close to where it can be and where it will be. And, you know, those are the things that excite us when leadership embraces and they build us, let us have a podcast room where we can come and interview people like Mike Mills and Dave Raymond and Deuce and, you know, Amy Mills. It, it, it's incredible. The wealth of knowledge that we get to share not just you and i selfishly but now we can publish that and it can go to all the podcast platforms are you surprised that you know when i started doing uh, the show originally started as a podcast uh, i think the live show it's been 10 years but two years previous to that it was long form interview then i would edit the best 20 30 minutes out of that long form and then upload it once a week so the schedule is still there it was a once a week release versus a once a week live show which is recorded and then put in the podcast for people that miss it but that I mean it's it was literally 12 years ago <laughs> and we could walk out of this room right now and say hey old dude what's the top three podcasts on your iphone and a he probably doesn't have a smartphone yes. and he's never heard of a podcast and thinks we're talking greek for as long as it's been out, I mean, and I've been a podcast fan since Adam Curry was like the podcast king, I thought there would be a little bit more traction or a little bit more face recognizability, which isn't a word. Um, are you surprised that podcasting still seems to be in the infancy stage to a certain degree? I think, it, I think it's just that the technology isn't there yet. Is you it know, a bad name? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's I don't think it's a branding issue. I think it's more of a technology issue and I think it's going to catch up very quickly. I mean, you know, the reason why you're doing Facebook Live is the same reason we started doing Facebook Live for our podcast is people get Facebook. They understand Facebook. They when you say podcasting, a lot of people don't know what that is. I have to download an app for that or you know, is there a different is it Stitcher? What's Stitcher? You know, what what are all these things? Right. Um, Facebook's easy. Facebook people get. Uh, but we're getting to the point where, I mean, most people are listening to podcasts while they're driving. You know, we're in California. Guess what? We have a lot of traffic in yeah. California. Yeah. Um, when you find out that you can have a Bluetooth, you know, link in your car and instead of listening to the radio that gets interrupted um, with a advertisement that you don't want to hear or have heard 700 times uh, and you can listen to the Barbecue Central show on demand and hear industry heavyweights that are doing things that can help you build your business, uh, it it's a game changer. I mean, it's an absolute game changer to think, you know, my grandfather, when he was growing up in Bulgaria in Portum, he read every single book in that in the library. You know, he got a job working for a doctor just so he could get access to more books. Now in that same village in Bulgaria, if a kid has internet access, he can get a Harvard education right. for free. Right. I mean, he can listen to podcasts, he can watch YouTube videos, he can search whatever he whatever he's passionate about, he can find something incredible to do um, because of the internet. That's those are the positive things and those are the things that have helped us build our business. You know, Yelp has been huge, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and they're all different in their own right. Um, I think a lot of the problem recently is people have a perception and I've had this problem too, where I was like, I don't need to be on Snapchat. You know, that's for kids. That's, that's you know, like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not going on Snapchat until I got over my 
you know, whatever my perception was of it. And I started posting to it. All of a sudden I had friends are like, Oh, you're up in Del Mar. I'm like, yeah, I've been posting about it. I do emails about it. Like I've cut like, I don't know however, but now because it's on Snapchat, that's their preferred social media platform and that's where they are. So, you know, you can't really discriminate just because you think that LinkedIn's stupid, uh, go on LinkedIn and you might get a business contact that might change, change your business. You have all the experience now with the restaurant coming up. As you said, you got the scars to prove it. When did you decide that you wanted to start sharing your experience via podcast and how did you go about starting it? You know, I think it was, well, we started the podcast in May of last year and, you know, I, I'd been doing just, I'm always fascinated by marketing and, you know, digital marketing and sharing your story, you know, Seth Godin, permission-based marketing, the things that have been successful for the restaurant is us sharing who we are, you know, the more that we've shared, you know, that it's me and my wife and, you know, my son and the people behind the scenes, Gene, the people, this is who we are, you know, and that's what people have responded to the most. Um, you know, I started reading more about podcasting and, you know, I went to Derek and asked him if he was game to start, you know, this podcast journey just as a way for us. If nothing else, if no one listens to the show, at least every week, we're going to meet. We're going to have a conversation with somebody that we respect and we can talk about, you know, our amateur event and our professional event. And it's grown into something so much deeper than that. You know, we went to the podcast movement conference in Anaheim and listened to podcast heavyweights, people that have been doing it. And everyone, there are people in the audience that are like, well, if I start this podcast, how do I get, what's my ROI or how do I get sponsors? And, you know, <laughs> everything that those legends said was you're in it for the wrong reasons. And if you're in it for the storytelling right. and if you're in it for, cause it's a long game and you're, you know, you've been doing it for so long. You've seen podcasts start and then stop because it's a commitment. Yep. I mean, it has to be a priority to have the quality. I mean, the equipment that you've brought out here, the, you know, the emails, the, all the things that you've had to do just to get this room to where it is. And it's still not where you want it to be because you care about quality. You know, that's why your show's so great is you care so much of how it sounds for your listener. Um, this is the best time, I think. I mean, you know, we talked about it before. It's a wild, wild west. It's a wild, wild west for audio and, you know, Amazon Alexa, all these Google Home, all these things that are getting embedded. And my, my son, he will never search Google. He'll never text into Google. You know, that won't happen. He's just going to talk to the search engine and say, hey, Alexa, do this. Hey, Siri, do this. And that's going to be his world. The show is called Behind the Smoke Barbecue War Stories. And if you subscribe to it, uh, I think the next question is is probably not off base, but uh, did it start as like a barbecue idea or concept? Because I think when you start digging through the episode, you realize that you guys are barbecue based, um, you know, ideally uh, through the business, through uh, the charities and the competitions that you run. But you have guys that are in sports entertainment, guys from professional sports teams, stuff that I guess you could easily look at and go, hey. It says yeah. barbecue in the it show, bar but yeah. it's really, and you say it every show, it's a podcast about business and marketing and all that stuff. Was that a, did you want to put barbecue in the name because you do do that? Um, and then you also wanted to share the business aspect or did it morph from it was going to be a barbecue podcast solely into, hey, we really found a niche here with getting into people's and business people's minds and brains and seeing how that works. I mean, I think the biggest thing for Derek and I, when we sat down and, you know, tried to hash out, well, what's the show going to be about and how are we going to do it? Um, you know, the biggest thing about the audio is we wanted to bring people into 
our world. And we've been given so many gifts because of barbecue. And those gifts have come in so many different opportunities to build relationships. And, you know, there's no business like barbecue where you get access to people and they're willing to share with you. You know, we have Dave Raymond who's telling us, you know, how they built their sauce empire um, into a catering business, into, you know, Deuce, Deuces Wilds, um, their team. And, you just don't get that kind of access anywhere else. But for us, we also wanted to make sure that we were true to ourselves. So we chose to be an explicit podcast. Um, you know, we added the voicemail, which I kept from a former business partner, um, not as a joke, but more as a way to set the tone for what we really wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about the things that you don't hear on radio and you don't hear on TV and you don't hear when you go to business class is the shit gets messy. I mean, there, there's messy stuff that happens in business and the people that persevere through it, that's where the opportunities all happen. And, um, you know, we've just been so grateful that because of that barbecue has opened those doors, you know, it, it's more of a business and digital marketing podcast because this is what we're doing with our barbecue business. Um, sports entertainment is something that we're very passionate about. Um, and that's opened up doors to have relationships for us that help us build our barbecue business. Uh, so for us, you know, it was never, we didn't want to be the barbecue show to sit there and, you know, talk about the smoker every single week or to talk about, you know, this cut of meat. Could we do that? Yeah, but it would, we would probably burn out. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about things that we're excited about and passionate about. And, you know, there, what other reason would we have to bring on the CEO of San Diego food bank that, you know, he's doing just an incredible job with 400 nonprofits feeding 370,000 um, people that are in need of food in San Diego County. There wouldn't be a reason to do that, you know, on a barbecue technical show, but for us, we can go behind the smoke and yes, it's barbecue war stories, but it's, you know, for us, we've gotten just great feedback from people that want to build a barbecue business, but you know, something that Sam, the cooking guy might've said on his show, you know, impacted them significantly. And, you know, I know you've had Sam on, on your show oh, yeah, many times, and yeah. that's because, I mean, he's a rock star. He's been, he's been doing the stuff that, you know, our panels, what we're talking about, he's been doing it the same way you have, you know, for decade now, you know, over a decade and people are starting to understand that, Hey, Facebook can build my business. Instagram can build my business. Oh, one tweet can change. I mean, Heath Hall's talking about pork, but he got on shark tank and it, I mean, it's apps. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is unbelievable. One tweet. And it was something not because he had a, you know, a bias against Twitter It's just like, that is what it is. And that, look at what opportunity and it's changed his life. Um, who's your favorite guest so far? I mean, you value everybody that gives you the time to come in and lay down the track. But I mean, I get the question all the time, of course. So you're a host of a show. So I'm obviously going to turn it around to you. Is there somebody that sticks out? Um, whether you thought that they exceeded expectation or maybe somebody that came in below expectation, or maybe somebody just blew you out of the water with you had them in a box and then they came in and just totally took it in a, in a completely different direction in a good or bad way. Who's your, who's somebody that really sticks out? I mean, I think, you know, just the, the conversations, obviously for us, it's, it's always hard. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question to put, ask a host. Um, but, you know, just what we did just recently is it, it's had such an impact on us, you know, having Mike Mills and Amy Mills, who, you know, 2012, we were not even a barbecue. We weren't all in on barbecue at that point. NBBQA, they, 
came out, they had the trade show in San Diego, which was epic, unbelievable. You know, Gene Guerche worked so hard to get us on the barbecue bus tour. So we were part of the bus tour with mm. Phil's Barbecue, with Brazen Barbecue, uh, Coops, Abby's, and then us. And this bus comes into Spring Valley and at, you know, our team, we're working, we're working like it's the president's coming, you know, because it's that important yeah, right. for us. It's for these sure. people, these are titans in the industry. They own restaurants. They're successful in sauce. They're successful grill manufacturers, whatever it is, but they're coming out to us and hospitality. I don't, we don't care who comes into our restaurant. We have to treat people that way, but it was such an opportunity for us. And to see Mike Mills come in and spend the time with me and spend the time with my wife and spend the time with, you know, my, my brother who was running the pit and just to talk, talk to us about tri-tip to talk to us. What are we doing when, you know, he's running 17th street barbecue. I mean, this is, you know, legend beyond That's legend. Mike Mills. That's Mike Mills <laughs> and, you know, Amy Mills. And they were just so hospitable. And then now we have, because of the podcast, we could invite them for an hour to sit down, share their story. And Derek and I could, you know, learn more about, the impact that they've had on Murfreesboro, Illinois, you know, not just there, but with their books. Now it's a global thing. And to share those stories, I mean, that it, that's the most exciting thing for us. I want to end the interview and I appreciate the time today, Sean. If somebody goes and listens to your podcast, <laughs> don't listen at work. The very, yeah, don't, <laughs> but the, the very opening, the, the open of the show is something that I get a, I'm I'm both get a kick out of it and I'm like wanting to claw my face off at the same time because so it's uh, somebody leaving you I think it was a former business partner yeah. leaving you what I would term a scathing voicemail um, making reference to you having come from money and you're going to blow through money and you yeah. don't know how to work and it's all going to run out someday and f you blah 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 um, to me that's like when I hear it every week and I'm just speculating because I'm the host here. That's like a, a chip on your shoulder email. You play it because maybe you don't hold a grudge anymore or maybe mm -hmm. you've worked past that, but you're not going to allow yourself for one second to think that somebody thought of you like that, a business partner thought of you like that, and for whatever reason you're hanging on to it to maybe not fall into some of a like a similar behavior or you want to make sure that people know that that is not who Sean Walchef is. Like, what's the what's the deal behind that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, it's one of those things. I've, I mean, I've talked about it with Derek. I've talked about it with my wife, Corey, the producer. We've talked about it. You know, it's a conscious decision. And it, it is a it is a risk to do that because, you know, we've had guests turned down coming on the show because of the explicit nature of the. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, I mean, we're yeah, we have bad mouths, but we're you know, we're just talking like regular guys. There's really right. nothing much more explicit than the beginning, but it sets the tone and it's not, I guess it's not about resentment. Those people that do know me know that it's less to do with who and how that happened than it is to do with, I mean, I've always been a fan of sports and, you know, you read about the Michael Jordans and the Kobe Bryants and the, you know, the people that have this mental toughness and they create an enemy and right, they create right. something to say, you know, you can't do it. And, you know, the, one of the things that my grandfather he, through his whole life, people told him, you know, you're a farmer boy from Bulgaria. You can't do that. You can't be a medical doctor. You can't immigrate to the United States. You can't build a business. You can't do this. You know, and for me, I, I frame my rejection letters to law school and they're sitting right. In, but that's just, you know, that's who I am as a person. It's right. not that I, you know, have this resentment towards the law school or anything like that. It's just we always want to remind ourselves and no matter how that is, is that things don't always go the way that we want. But 
that doesn't mean that there's not great things that can come of it, you know, and some of the greatest things that have happened are because of stuff like that. And, um, you know, for people that are hating whatever they're doing, you know, if they're at a job that they absolutely hate and they they, they love barbecue and they, you know, think about it all the time and they can't wait to get on the weekend and, you know, hang out with their friends and go to a comp and maybe compete or maybe start a catering business. They need to understand that, Yes, it is great to own 17th Street Barbecue, but there's a lot of things that Mike and Amy had to deal with along the way right, right. that you have to have tough skin, you know, and whether it's saving a voicemail is going to help you have tough skin, fine. But whatever that is, you know, you need to embrace that and deal with it. Sean, where can everybody find you if they want to subscribe to the podcast or check out websites or visit the restaurant? Uh, BehindTheSmokeMedia.com uh, or on all the podcast uh, websites. We're Behind the Smoke Barbecue War Stories. Uh, we appreciate uh, Barbecue Central show, best barbecue show. This has been really cool, Greg. I think um, every year we're gonna we made a commitment earlier that uh, we're gonna build this into a what they do at Super Bowl. You know, radio, Ro- radio, Ro- radio. Ro- Here Ro- it is. Radio we're starting Ro- right now. <laughs> so we're gonna look back and hopefully we'll have uh, some international podcast representation at the next uh, next event. Sean, really appreciate the time. Anytime. Brother. All right, you got it. There he is, Sean Walchef. Barbecue War Stories and owner Catley Comfort Barbecue. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association right here in Fort Worth, Texas. We'll be back with Linda Orison right after this. Stick around. Be right back. All right, welcome back. You can now win a freshly minted Barbecue Central Show t-shirt. Just picked them up. Doug Scheiding, an official Texas Embedded Correspondent, hand-delivered them to me. Uh, So we have sizes, and I'm covering all the barbecue sizes. Extra large, which is the smallest size I'm offering. We have double extra large. We have triple extra large. And we have quadruple extra large. All you have to do is be the first person in with an email and in the subject line, write the Shed BBQ. And you can win an official Barbecue Central Show t-shirt not yet available to the public. So go ahead and do that again. First email in in the subject line, the Shed BBQ. Good luck. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. We are broadcasting live from the National Barbecue and Grilling Association, the IMBBQ 2018 yearly conference in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, thanks again to Sean Walchef for joining me last segment. Also, Chris Lilly, the segment before that. And boy, oh boy, am I really excited. I got to know this lady's son a handful of years ago in person when the inaugural, I hate, I hate that word, inaugural world, the first annual Kingsford Invitational took place. That would be the head shed head Brad Orison. And now I'm talking with Mama Shed Linda Orison. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much. You for Thank you for having to do me. This. Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, a lot of different places to go here during our time. You're helping me close the show out here this afternoon, so I certainly appreciate that. 
Um, we're here at the NBBQA, obviously. Um, you know, as somebody who has been kind of covering this industry in some form or fashion over the last 10 or 12 years in, in some podcast form or live show form, I don't know if I was really observant or aware of NBBQA. It's been around for any number of years. And I don't know if it's had, I want to say, a bad reputation per se, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of onus to want to get down here, especially if you didn't have a business-related item or you weren't in the restaurant business to some degree. <clears throat> and then some lady became president and is widely considered to be the person that decided to say, hey, we're going to steer this ship into a place where the NBBQA is really going to be out in the forefront. We're going to push a vision, and we're going to kind of bring it out of whatever gray area it was in, and that was you. Oh, so you. as you look back at your time as president, and you know, even Heath Hall was saying it when I was interviewing him yesterday, you know, I have to go back and credit Linda Orison for driving where we are today. When you were president-elect and you were kind of devising a vision or a strategy that you wanted to take NBBQA in during your term, how was that process? And then once you got in, how did you find driving that ship? Well, you know, um, at one point, I, I use a pa the word passion, uh, and passion and barbecue, the love of the people. Uh, just to step back a moment, the way I got involved in this, of course, Brad wrote me into it years and years ago. <laughs> Uh, and MBBQA is 26 years old. And uh, I went to the first one that was out in, um, I believe it was California. And when I walked in the door, it was like I was walking into family. And I met the most caring and sharing and wonderful people I had ever met in my life. And uh, there, there are no egos here. And, and if someone comes in with an ego, either they realize that they're out of line or they just don't fit in. And so anyway, I kind of got, uh, uh, thanks to Chris Lilly, I kind of got a, a position. As he had to step down from a regional position, and he said, Linda, do it. And I had no clue what I was getting myself into. And then uh, out in California, the shed had just burned to the ground when mm -hmm. I went to – no, I – I made a mistake. I told you it was in California. It was in uh, Austin, where which was my first uh, years before that, which was my first uh, MBBQA, where I fell in love with everyone. And uh, anyway, I walked in, and I Brad said, "No, Mom." He said, "The shed's dead. There's nothing you can do about it," and it was. And uh, he said, you go represent and let everybody out know that we're okay and we're going to be okay. So I walked in, and within that afternoon, Kel Phelps, you know, my friend Kel yeah. Phelps, yeah. he came up to me and he said, he said, Linda, he said, do me a favor. Oh, you've got to do this. He said, we got to make an announcement for somebody that would, I thought he said, run for president-elect. And, oh, gosh, I called the kids, and I said, and they said, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, Mama, <laughs> you're busy enough. And so I finally, because of Kel, I said, okay. Well, I was thinking I was getting into a position where I was going to run against somebody else, and nobody would vote for me. Uh, I, there was no one else running. <laughs> so I became the president-elect that day. Wow. And the whole thing about my vision for MBBQA is letting people know how wonderful these people are. Uh, for instance, 
uh, at one of our conferences, I was uh, I was sitting in the lobby, and, and this young man came up, and he sat down by uh, Mike Mills. He didn't know Mike Mills from Adam's house cat. And he says, you know, man, he was talking to all of us. He said, I can't, I can't cook a brisket. And Mike said, really? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He says, you tell me how you cook yours, and then I'm going to tell you how I cook mine. Yeah. And they had this wonderful conversation, and I'm just sitting there knowing that this kid did not know who he was talking to. So they finished their conversation, and I chased this young man down the hall, and I said, I hope you were taking good mental notes because you were just talking to the legend of barbecue. Yeah. And see, that confirms why I am so in love with these people because they're they'll share. We don't have competitors here. I like to say that we're fiercely competitive, uh, fiercely competitors on right before we turn our boxes in and then we're fiercely friends. So, uh, but the vision for MBBQA to me is to help people, people who want to get into the barbecue business, be it competitors, be it the backyard grillers, be it the restaurateurs or caterers, and help them to succeed to the goal that they want to be in barbecue. And it might be a, a short goal. It, it, it may be they want to own uh, as many restaurants as Famous Dave. Well, we want to help them to make fewer mistakes and succeed faster. And that's the message that that I've been preaching for many years now. And MBBQA is the tool to to go out and help people. I mean, it, it's strictly a humanitarian thing for me. And with MBBQA, I figured, you know, it, when it was first 26 years ago, it was hot. MBBQA, and there's one master out there. Right now, there's a master's panel going on, right. and we've got all kinds of wonderful people on stage. And there is not one of those men sitting on stage today that can honestly say that MBBQA way back in the day or even a few years ago did not propel them into their greatness. And so, you know, I think when you share that message with people and use MBBQA as that, as that guideline and that tool and that resource where people can come to us, um, there's a new life into MBBQA. There's uh, a lot of love here. Uh, and it, and it, I don't mean to sound like a love fest, but when you come here and you sit down with your friends that you haven't seen for a year or you sit down next to the competitor that beat you in the last competition, all those, everything is just just respect. So I guess that's, that's kind of my, my giving to MBBQA is letting people know uh, the direction. And now we've carried it one step further and we are – we formed a um, um, several committees, but one is IPAC, which is the Industry Partner uh, uh, Advisory Council. And we've called in, we have Ace Hardware, we've got Weber, we've got all of these folks, we've got the pork board, the beef board, and we're pulling all together to help this industry. Mm -hmm. And with that, is that's powerful. The other thing that I really like, and I'm seeing it firsthand, is as you had mentioned, you have the heavyweights of the industry here. Mm -hmm. And within that story that you were related about the guy who couldn't really cook a good brisket talking to Mike Mills, you have access to the elite of the elite. And oh, by the way, they're happy to share a conversation. They want to make those personal connections because it really benefits them to draw more people in and help fortify the industry that they love too. 
Absolutely. And and Chris Lilly, just uh, right before I walked in the door, he said, you know, when when this man right here uh, is nominated for a James Beard Award, that makes me look good. He said, that helps the industry. He said, I'm happy when this man over here is the world champion. He said, that makes us all look good. He said, we're all barbecue. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of conferences around this world you could go to, and there's a whole bunch of cat scratching and, you know, people not wanting to share. But that's just not the way it is here. Uh, Linda Orson joining me here on the show, uh, Mama Shed. Let's run back, if we could. Sure. Um, I had Mike Mills on the show yesterday and we did kind of a, a neat retrospective um, i've never been able to have that kind of an in-depth conversation with him and the shed always has fascinated me i love um, and i just had chris lily on a couple hours ago and you find that within the barbecue industry a lot there are especially in the restaurants it's a family thing and i don't think there's probably a better example of a successful barbecue restaurant that is family-related than the shed. You have Brad, you have Brooke, you have uh, uh, Papa Shed, you have Mama Shed. I mean, it is truly a family affair. Mm -hmm. When you were growing up, were you coming from a family that loved to cook, that loved to barbecue or anything like that? Or is that just something that you kind of got into and or the kids pushed you into? Or like, how does that generate? Brad wrote me into it. Uh, <laughs> That's how a lot of sentences start, right? Yeah, sure. Brad wrote me into a lot of things, he, he too. Just wrote, yeah, he can do it. Don't even talk to him. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Brad, uh, I'll tell you a real quick little story. Is Brad, he graduated from Ole Miss, and, and I, I like to get about this. He majored in women and minored in uh, drinking. <laughs> and when he, when he graduated, the one thing that he did learn up there was how to write a beautiful business plan. And he came home, and he had a, oh, it's about an inch and a half thick business plan. He was going to build a seafood restaurant on our property on the bayou. <laughs> and he went to three banks in town. They really, they really regret their mistake here. But they went to three. He went to three banks, and they said, "Brad, this is a beautiful business plan, man." He said, "Do you have a job?" And Brad said, "Well, yeah, I'm gonna build that restaurant. This is gonna be my job. Yeah, this is it." <laughs> and uh, they said, "Well, do you have good uh, credit line?" And he goes, "Well, let, let's don't talk about my credit." <laughs> And they sent him home with his tail between his legs. Yeah, right. The next morning, the next morning, I thought, oh, this kid's going to be devastated. I mean, really devastated. And he he got up. He was staying with us, of course, temporarily. And he got up and he came in and he goes, Mom, is it okay with you if I just, uh, on your property, just make a little barbecue roadside takeout place? And I said, well, man, that's no problem. I said, but Brad, you don't know how to barbecue. And he goes, that's the least of my worries. Really? And the shed is today. No and way. Brad literally, not only that, but get this one. Brad, in, you would think somebody getting into the barbecue business that really didn't know what they were doing would go out and research and, and find the very best smoker you right, could right. find. No, Brad went into the dumpsters over at one of our casinos. I swear, this is a true story. I, I don't make this stuff up. And he pulled, he had three uh, Alto Shams that they had called him and said, hey, we just threw these or put them beside the dumpsters yeah. to come get them. They, they still work. And he and his dad turned those Alto Shams into smokers. Wow. And so that's what they smoked on. So he didn't know how to barbecue. He didn't know how to smoke meat. He had he had a jerry-rigged uh, smoker, and, <laughs> and away we went. And he had a, well, a, a goal of selling $500 worth of barbecue in a week. And, and he sold $500 worth of barbecue the first day. 
and it's been nothing wow. but success ever since. So, you know, typically uh, it, you're obviously kind of amazed as I am when you hear the story. Typically it's, he came from a family that was barbecuers and we it did. was a long lineage. Mm-hmm. So did, um, did Papa Shed teach him how to barbecue? Is it self-learned? I mean, there has to be some type of a ramp up time in order to get something that you feel comfortable with selling to the public. Right. Not necessarily Brad, but yes, right. You should feel that way. Uh, actually, actually, this is a very interesting story. Um, we didn't realize until Brad had really been into uh, and had his little takeout thing for a couple of years. It, 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 it hit us both, my husband and I, is my father, my grandfather was the butcher for the Floridian Hotel for 40 years wow. down in Tampa. Yep. My father, when he got back from World War II, uh, went to work for his dad, and he was a butcher, and then he went off and went into construction. Uh, Brad's grandfather, my husband's uh grandfather had uh, a rolling back in the uh, early early 1900s a rolling meat market and he would have hanging hogs and they would take it you know um, this was in Colorado and uh, he would take that around and so he was a butcher and then his son owned a grocery store uh, my husband's father owned a grocery store and he was the butcher there (laughs) so all of a sudden it hit us we have butchers on both sides of the family and people in the meat markets on both sides of our family our family um of course we grilled grilled you know we we, craig i don't remember my husband ever barbecuing anything or or low and slowing anything but and that's where you know brad was an excellent cook always has been always been attracted to it he the uh brad's work just all of his life. And, and when he was 15 years old, he was busting tables in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So that's where his interests lie. But um, the whole trip has been like, pinch me and I'm going to wake up. And this really didn't happen because that's how crazy it is. So the shed basically starts on the side of a road with him vending. When did he decide that I want to go from being this vendor kid on the side of the road to really getting a, a place? Oh, well, it just it it grew organically. <laughs> It's crazy. All right. So it was 360 square feet. And he had talked his little sister into not going back to school for the next semester. She had just entered college. And he he, uh, roped her into not going back. Roped her into it. There's a lot of roping going on. Yeah. But, you know, see, she's the bean counter. She's the smart one. And Brad just, you know, he'll tell you himself, he he can't handle money at all. And uh, he'll put it in an envelope, forget it to put it in the bank, and it'll be on the floorboard of his car. So he told told Brooke, he said, look, Brooke, he said, if you won't go to school just this one semester, and and I'm telling you, by that time, you're going to love this shed, uh, he said, I'll give you 1% of the business. Well, within one year, she owned 59%, and he owns 51%, or 49% and 51%. And uh, how the shed grew and developed was there was a construction crew, and, and they didn't even have a front door. They had something called a wind door. It was a door turned sideways that you opened up. And so uh, this construction crew would come by. I mean, we had crowds. We really did. Wow. People standing in line. And the construction crew would go, look, we want a place to sit. They said, if you'll just give us barbecue and beer, we'll build you a little lean-to on the Genius. Building. Yes. <laughs> well, it went from 360 square feet to about... 15,000 square feet, one little lean-to at a time. I remember specifically one time this lady called, and she said, look, it's my friend's 
uh, 50th birthday, and we're going to bring her to the shed. And do you have a place that we could just have a little party? And so Brad told the guys, they said, hey, we got to build a room today. And so we, there was a door in the shed leading to nowhere, so he just took some tin, and the, the they had to spray for, for ants on the floor, and it was a grass floor, put a table in there, and then the woman said it was the best birthday party she's ever had in her life. And until, until the planning commission made us rip it down, that was part oh. of the building too really you know so uh yeah it, it's morphed it there has never been a plan uh except yeah let's build a building over there or let's let's add to this over here so like i said before the fire we were at about 15 16, square feet and uh now we're up to about eighteen thousand square feet of just junk put together it's like an american dream come true and i mean of course in today's you know the epas and all this kind of stuff you have to do things that they want you to do but if if something is really like you'll see a lot of extension cords in the shed they're not hooked to anything Mm -hmm. but brad just refuses to show yeah yeah but uh and and then you walk into the kitchen you think when you walk into the shed you go good lord what's a kitchen like and (laughs) and and, uh you walk into the kitchen it's immaculate and i mean it's a full bore kitchen that that could be in anybody's uh, restaurant does brooke go back to college no, never, 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 wow. never. No, she was, she was making money. <laughs> well, I figure if he's convincing her, you know, money had to be the, the, the attractor to not go mm-hmm. back to college. Wow. That's an mm-hmm. amazing story. Yeah. So if I can bring you back to, uh, when the shed catches fire, um, mm-hmm. was that a kitchen issue or something else that Electrical. Electrical issue. You know, when Hurricane Katrina, now this is my version. I mean, this is my opinion. Uh, they never could prove what happened to the shed. The fire did not start in, like, most barbecue restaurants that yep. burned down. It did not start in the kitchen. And But uh, a couple of years before that, the shed took on about eight feet of water with Hurricane Katrina. Yep. And then, of course, being built as sol- solidly as it is, it just leaked out and the building was left standing. <laughs> And, uh, of course, everything in it was ruined. But uh, I think that what happened was over the years, uh, the electrical, and especially because of the flooding, there was some little spark. And, you know, when you throw a spark in a haystack, you know, it just goes up really yeah. fast. Um, but, yeah, that was a devastating time. I, I've, I've seen devastating times at the shed. I've talked to other restaurant owners before, and they've had – you know, fires that were pretty devastating. I just had Aaron Franklin on my show a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that fire wasn't nearly as devastating as it was to the shed. But my question to everybody that's had to go through that in whatever form or fashion they did was, and you guys are hugely successful, Aaron Franklin, hugely successful. A lot of these other guys had seen a lot of success in their time. After you've experienced so much success and you've done it for so long, and then you have this really traumatic event, is there ever a conversation that you have after it happens, whether it be hours after or maybe a day or two after or a week or whatever, and saying, hey, we built it. It was great. We had this great run. Let's just divest and get into cleaning homes or let's open a car business or, or whatever else. Was there any talk of not making a next generation shed? Never a word. Never. Never a word. Always, we're going to go rebuild immediately. Here, here here's uh, and I think I think your viewing audience. I, I hope that this inspires them as much as it inspired me. Uh, when the shed burned down, and I mean it burned down, it yeah. was gone, and uh, just a uh, rubbles, and and everybody who brought things to us to hang on the walls and everything, 
we always considered that still theirs, but it was just at home in the shed. That is what really upset Brad the most, all that stuff. And uh, anyway, the the next morning, Brad just says, well, you know, we just got to get up and put one foot in front of the other. And all of a sudden we turned around and here comes a line of smokers from our, let's call them competitors, the restaurants there and the and and uh, and barbecue people. Here comes a line of smokers. Here comes people with hammers and nails and old junk and all that kind of stuff. And so we took our we took our uh, homemade barbecue wagon that we used to take to um, out of an old bread truck, which was a replica of the original shed. We took it all the way down to the bayou so you wouldn't have to smell the, you know, the fire and it was still smoking and everything. They set that up. They put a tin roof over it. And this is the amazing thing. And this is what I want. And I hope I impress people by telling them your, your listening audience is we opened back up five days after the fire. Wow. Now, here's a, another interesting interesting story about that fire is when the shed burned that night, it took Brad about 10 hours before that they, they would let him go to the smokers. He went into the smokers. The meat was cooked to perfection, and Brad started feeding the boots on the ground, all of that food. Nice. Well, we kept on, and we kept on feeding, kept on feeding, and then our vendors, they caught wind that we were feeding people that were coming in to help us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, hundreds of people were coming in and, and saying, what can I do? How can I rebuild? I mean, how can I help you rebuild? And so the vendors would bring food when we ran out of our food, and we fed people for five days. Wow. And then on that fifth day at 5 o'clock on a Friday, we sold our first sandwich. Really? Five you know, days? Five days. Wow. And you know what that's called? Tenacity. Yeah. And you can't succeed in the restaurant business, in any business today, without tenacity. And I I didn't know that the kids had that much in them because they had never been challenged before. But I I use this as a, as a prime example when I'm speaking and uh, giving presentations and everything, is if you want to be in the business today, any kind of business today, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get up, slap yourself in the face, and say, "I'm gonna go back to that, and I'm gonna make this work." You never give up. That's a great story, and I'm glad you shared that. Uh, Linda Orson joining me here on the show. Um, one of the things that I know you're kind of passionate about, or, or the thing that you're pressing out right now, is preserving the past and fueling the future of barbecue. Sorry. And uh, I mean, I guess that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, depending on who you're talking to. But uh, from your perspective, what does that mean to you, and how are you trying to do that? Well, I'm doing that through MBBQA. That that basically has been my focus since I have, was the president and been involved in this association. You know, back in the 50s, there was barbecue on the street corners, you know, out of trucks and, and old smokers. It was everywhere. Barbecue, American barbecue was everywhere. Well, then the fast food places came in and American barbecue died and, and went back into the back alleys and things like that. If we think today... That barbecue, it's white hot because oh, we're yeah. on TV a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're winning awards that normally a barbecue restaurant wouldn't win. We're doing, we're, cookbooks are, are flourishing. James Beard. That's uh, it. Yeah, wow. That's exactly right. Um, if we think that barbecue can't die, 
we're wrong mm-hmm. because it's died once on us. And just because we're white hot does not mean we'll always be white hot. And so what I want to do is, and my goal is to, we don't have those stories of Myron Mixon and his dad getting him up at three o'clock in the morning and he had to go bake biscuits in yeah. his dad's barbecue restaurant. We don't have the stories. Uh, there's been, you know, a few, there's his history there, but we don't have them compiled where we can keep that American barbecue alive. I mean, there's a couple of excellent books about the history of barbecue, but I'm talking about the real deal stories. Let's get them, let's get them recorded. Let's, let's hear it from them about how, not only the legends today, but their parents that and, and their grandma's recipe and how they got into barbecue. So I want to preserve that past, but I want to fuel the future. I don't see, uh, you know, in the in the crowd here, I don't see any 20-year-olds here. Yeah, yeah. And we have to fuel that future or that will be the link where barbecue as we know it today could take a a major step backwards. So let's talk about that for a second. And I'm glad you mentioned as you kind of survey the demographic that's out there in the main room. And I'd noticed that as soon as I walked in here, Uh, maybe I'm kind of on the younger trend, but I mean, I'm not young. I'm 40, will be 43 in July. Mm -hmm. And I try and keep up with technology. I I understand that if you don't adapt and evolve, you're just going to remain stagnant and eventually you become irrelevant. As somebody who is in the business and you've been the president here at MBBQA and you see everything that's going on around you and you're keenly aware that, hey, this has already happened once and we don't want it to happen again, how do you pull in a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old to get them interested in keeping this going? Taking them to barbecue. Uh, and when I go to barbecue competitions, I see I – see, um, fathers with their 15-year-old sons and daughters, and they're teaching him that, and and everyone here needs to be aware that they need to involve their children. Uh, Brad, Brad has four boys, eight years old and under, and they, all four of them have their own grill. And, and he, he's teaching them to cook. And I think that that's one main thing that that everyone could do is is share share your barbecuing with a child. It doesn't even have to be your own child or a young person. Uh, maybe invite your young neighbor over and say, "Hey, man, you want to help me put on some ribs today?" Uh, those kind of um, experiential uh, touching them and and giving the them the experience of barbecue is one way of doing it. Uh, I want to get more involved with children's cookoffs and uh, see. There's talent out there. People love fire is a Neanderthal thing that pulls us all together. I worry today about young families sitting around and ordering pizza and all the family and the kids are on their phones. I want to get those people out to the backyards. And so if by using MBBQA as a tool to get, uh, media out there and and appeal to them that way to take their families outside and even if you burn a hamburger you know uh let let the kid do it and 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 do it as a family because that's what barbecue is all about i mean it it truly is uh you know i'm sure that that uh a lot of big companies would tell would say well you know the word passion shouldn't even be said because it isn't relevant in today's world Hmm. well obviously they don't sit around the fire but it's that is that 
getting back to basics and getting back to family. And I think that that's the way we're going to get the the young people into barbecue, but they need the message. So I'm here to try to figure out how to get the message to them to do that, because a lot of the folks that are so wrapped up in the world today as it is, and so honed into their phones or their computers, you know what, they probably sat around a fire in their lives and they've just, they've just forgotten it that, you know, it seems like social media, even, even television today can just be, um, uh, it can absorb you and and not let you do the things that would come more naturally to use the human. So let's look at a contradictory point to that. Do you think that um, everybody's talking about this millennial generation now? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people that maybe are a little older than me and above want to poo-poo on them quite a bit. But I think when you look in the news, you see some things that I never thought about doing before. They're taking an interest in where their meat is coming from and how it's raised and how it's dispatched and how are we going to cook it. And I'm sure you've probably seen an increase in question asking and how do I do this than you probably ever have because of all the information that's readily available because there's podcasts and there's live streams and the proliferation of television and barbecue on television especially has really drawn the interest of some of the younger crowd. Is that a, I mean, is it a valid point to say that there's a younger generation that doesn't seem to want to get into it or is that more of a of a stereotype? And there are people that we can pull in pretty easily. I, but I, yeah, it irritates me every time I hear somebody talk about millennials in the <laughs> manner that you were just you know saying yeah. that they do, because look, those those young people that are going into restaurants wanting to know where that hog came from, wanting to know where that vegetable came from, all they're doing is going back into their roots when their grandmothers and their grandfathers had their own hogs and their own vegetables in their backyard. That's all they're asking us to do is get real again. So that tells me that there's this desire, desire to maybe slow the world down a little bit, eat more healthy, um, be knowledgeable of what you do. And I think that their prime, prime targets to, to get into barbecue. And, and uh, I think the millennials today take pride in what they do. And, you know, the pride is an awful lot to do with, with barbecue. I mean, that's kind of why we do it is, is the, you know, the, the sense of pride when we take that brisket out and, you know, it hasn't shrunk up to four inches hard as a rock, you know, we feel good about ourselves. Uh, Linda, when you look back at Brad and Brooke and the accomplishments that they've had, and as we had mentioned before, I mean, it's certainly a, a family affair when it comes to the restaurant. Are you most proud of when the fire took place and they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to rebuild and we're going to do this thing again? Are you most proud of seeing them on television and competing in these television shows and doing very well? Are you most proud of them winning Memphis in May? Like, what are your key moments as you, you look down on, on these two and say, hey, these are the things that really stick out about these two? The key moment, the, the key moment for me was when, when they got out of the ditch. They only stayed in the ditch after the fire for about two or three hours. And they got up and they put one foot in front of each other. And it took such, those steps were so hard. I mean, just, just think about it. You're walking away from a building that you put your heart and soul in and you're walking and the steps are hard to walk down to that bayou. I'll never, 
I, I will never be more proud of the kids. Uh, I, I don't care if the kids make money. I want, I want them to, to be content. I want them to reach a place of contentment. I'm not sure if they're capable of that because they've always got some harebrained idea. Yeah. Um, television is a, a natural for them. Um, I listen to this one. I used to be a professional clown. Way back really? in the day. Yeah, I was now. I was you know, a- I'm learning two of the most <laughs> unbelievable things. Yesterday, Mike Mills told me his first business, which he still has today, was dentures. I <laughs> know. It's like true. in 1962, and it's two miles down the road from the 17th Street Barbecue Restaurant. <laughs> Mama Orson is, uh, or Mama Shed is a professional clown. I was. Wow. I was for 10 years. Now, I wasn't a big old red nosed, big footed clown. I was a real pretty little clown. I did magic. I was a little Pierrot, Pierrot. Yep. But I would go, and, and I did a lot of schools, and I had a good citizenship message when I, when I did it for schools. And I would, uh, sometimes I'd have to pull them out of school for them to go help me do my show so they were kind of raised on a stage and they love cameras and it's a natural thing but that's fun you know that's just the fun part that but when when you talk about somebody that can stand up and face the world and and with all the trials and tribulations that they've had which everybody in the barbecue or not barbecue but the restaurant business goes through um that's when i'm the most proud the other thing that I think is unique to the shed is, um, aside from obviously having a very local dominating presence, the name has grown throughout the country, uh, probably the world as well. And then you have these fantastic line of sauces. I can get shed sauces in Cleveland, Ohio, and Giant Eagle supermarkets. True. Is that something at some point you guys decided to say, hey, we're owning it down here. We have a chance to really hop on a bigger train how do you decide to take that step, and how do you do it? Well, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that, that Brad and Brooke are really at their age capable of being content in their life because I was hoping they'd be content with the shed. But at one point in time, uh, and, and we don't hesitate to tell people our failures That's the, because that's the only way that other people can learn is from, you know, mistakes and hopefully we'll keep them from making a mistake. But uh, we decided we were going to be in the franchise business. Well, as soon as we put out the word that we wanted to get into franchising, within a year, we had six people with money that wanted to buy a franchise. Uh, We got them up and rolling. It was the worst mistake we've ever made in our life because we realized that we are lousy babysitters. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, terrible, terrible babysitters. And we would go to one like over in Louisiana and they'd be frying fish, you know, instead. And so anyway, we learned that uh, that hard lesson, uh, shut them all down. Mm. And then Brad decided that we need to take our sauce to the market because the shelves don't talk mm-hmm. and they don't talk back to you. So uh, here we go again. We're on another adventure and mom's shaking her head going, oh boy, here we go. And uh, But we do it and they do it with gusto. And um, sometimes I don't know how we have enough hours in the day to do what we do. Yeah. And But I don't think that train will ever slow down. It doesn't ever seem like I hear the word work come out of your guy's mouth it's just passion Mm -hmm. it's what you want to do and you're just happy to to get up and do it every day it's kind of your calling almost absolutely and you know my husband uh daddy oh he he instilled a lot of things in the kids when they first opened the shed you know on uh, Saturday night, they, they had a really good Saturday. So they had a few beers and they were sitting there and they decided, well, 
you know, I'm a little hungover this morning. I don't think I'm going to get up at four o'clock going there. And uh, my, their dad went to both of their houses and knocked on the door. And he said, you told people you're going to be open. You better be there. Yeah. And he got them up and they went to work and they haven't missed unless, you know, something bad happens or, or they're ill. They haven't missed a day of work, of wow. work yet. Linda Orson, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out here. I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could rope you in to doing this instead of Brad doing it. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the NBBQA conference here. And again, this has been a, a tremendous pleasure and an honor for me. And I appreciate you doing the show. I thank you so much. You got it. There she is. It's Linda Orson from the Shed, and we are going to wrap it up here. Uh, all the way back in the first hour, we talked with Chris Lilly, and then we had Sean Walchef on from Behind the Smoke, Barbecue War Stories, and we ended it up here with Linda Orson from The Shed. We will be back at noon central time tomorrow for the third day of live broadcasting, third and final day. So if you missed it or you're just tuning in, you get on the podcast here in a little bit when I release it or go back and check it out here on Facebook. Two, uh, September 11, 2001, I will never forget and until tomorrow at noon Eastern, this is your, I'm sorry, noon Central, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.